definitely win. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, senior story editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nancy Dufilipis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vanderbilt. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Azarelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 121. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Donovan. This is Jay. And Stella's actually taking this episode off, uh, but she will return next episode. Uh, we do have a total of a bunch of different books. We have five normal books and three chapters of Batman Beyond. We are covering all the news from July 14th through August 3rd, including the news from Comic-Con. Uh, we actually don't have a ton of news, uh, even though it's been three weeks. Um, and, and part of the books we are covering are annuals because it's been exactly three weeks since our last episode because there was five weeks in the month of July. So, we're going to jump right into comic news. What's going down? The very first thing we've got is on July 16th, DC announced that there is going to be a new series coming out in November featuring nothing but Harley Quinn. Um, we will talk about this a little bit more on the uh, .5 cast in a week, a week from now when you are listening to that. But uh, we, at this point, uh, we will be covering this series. It will be part of the Point Five cast. Um, we will not be covering it at or on on this normal cast because it is a, a supporting character. We're not super sure that it's going to tie super far into the the main stuff that we cover here. So, any thoughts on Harley Quinn having a series? Um, at first, I was like, well, okay. I mean. Uh, she had a series of, like I think a decade ago, which I didn't read much, but uh, issues that I did catch were, were fun. Um, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor are heading this series, correct? Yes. Yeah, um, I, I, that gives me kind of hope that it might be a fun series. So, I mean, I know DC right now isn't all about fun series, but because Harley's a funny character, I hope it's not as grim dark as I, she appears to be in Suicide Squad. So I hope that like the, I hope that those creators are a sign that the series might be as fun as the character. All right, so then we've got we dive into some of the Comic Con news on July 18th. There was a panel called DC Entertainment All Access. There's a couple of different news bits related to some of the books we cover here, including Gail Simone stated that the new art team of Fernando Parcerin, Jonathan Glappan, and Blonde is the best team she has ever worked with. That doesn't say very much about her former teams. <laughs> uh, Barbara Gordon will be struggling on whether to be Batgirl or not because of how painful it would be for her father. Uh, Simone stated that it would slowly be revealed how Barbara regained the ability to walk by having bits show up in future issues. Um, everything else, uh, we have some other news bits, but th- they pertain to books that we don't even actually cover on either this or the Point Five cast. Most of them are digital books, including Little Gotham, uh, and Injustice Gods Among Us, as well as some of the other books that Batman appears in, such as Earth 2. So, um, not a whole lot of news out of this panel, but we, we really didn't expect a whole lot of news out of this panel, since really the only main Bat book writer that was there was Gil Simone. Um, I do want to comment on this, uh, you know, oh, we're f- it's going to be revealed how Barbara gained the ability to walk by having bits show up in future issues. I'm calling BS on that immediately because it's been two years now and we know nothing 
And she said the same thing two years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's been two years. And I believe she said that, you know, we would find that out over time. And bits and pieces, like, you know, just freaking tell us. This is not this is something that we, we, we want to, you know, be t- tantalized with slowly. slowly, slowly. Uh, we want to know now. So, whatever. All right. And then the other panel we've got uh, also on July 18th was the DC Digital panel. Uh, now, related to some of the stuff that we covered here, um, not a whole lot of stuff. A lot of the stuff that they were talking about, uh, we're dealing with uh, Batman Beyond, uh, some of the DC Nation uh, digital series. And so basically, I'll just run through some of them, even though they don't pertain to books that we normally cover. Upcoming Legends of the Dark Knight arc will feature Clayface with a story by Shane Davis. November we'll see the launch of a new series called Scooby-Doo Meets Batman and Robin, written by Shelley Fish. Mm. Um, Justice League Beyond will complement the upcoming Batman Beyond stories, written by Kyle Higgins. DC Nation will become digital first series, with Beware the Batman launching in October and Teen Titans Go in December. The recently introduced Batgirl Beyond will appear in the future stories of Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond will be retitled Batman Beyond Universe. A question about <laughs> Stephanie Brown's hair being recolored in Batman Little Gotham, and the panel dodged the question. And a new villain called Rewire will appear in Batman Beyond. Um, I also will take this time to say that this is the actual last episode we will be covering in Batman Beyond, specifically due to a number of different comments that Kyle Higgins made around Comic-Con stating that uh, this has nothing to do with the New 52. He's not necessarily continuing on the main story of Batman. He's basically making a sequel to the TV show and leaving the comic world behind. Um, That's not to say that some of the stuff that Adam Beechin has done he will carry into his series, but as we've seen over the past couple years with what Adam Beechin's been doing, he's kind of been incorporating a lot of different things that have been happening current continuity into things that happen in the future. Kyle Higgins has said that it is not part of the New 52, and I don't know if he's just saying that so that people will think of it as a brand new series or whatnot, but we will no longer be covering this book on the podcast. I'm not overly surprised by the fact that Kyle Higgins is taking it into the animated universe, because from everything that we've heard of him in interviews and stuff, he's always saying how big a fan he is of the Tim versus we like to call it. Um, as for the Scooby-Doo meets Batman, I probably won't be picking that up, but I read Sholly Fish's uh, backups in Action Comics when Grant Morrison was reading it. I'm not sure if he's still doing that, but they were really fun, so that series could actually be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, supposedly it's supposed to be similar to... There was a, uh, a DVD re- that released a couple years back that featured the Scooby-Doo from the 1970s, um, and at the time there was all kinds of different... Uh, celebrities and things like that that guest starred on Scooby-Doo and Batman and Robin was one of them and there was a DVD called Scooby-Doo Meets Batman and it basically was a collection of two episodes where Batman and Robin work with Scooby-Doo and the uh, and the, the other members with Scooby-Doo and they basically solve mysteries together. That seems to be what this is going to be, the fact that it's going to be a New series, they said series, they didn't say it was a one-shot, means that maybe we'll see appearances from other 
celebrities. celebrities or new celebrities or whatnot in the page, same pages. Well, I mean, I think I'm, I'm not exactly sure uh, who is dead and who's not. I know that um, Sonny Bono's dead from those old episodes. It would be interesting if they had, like, you know, like, like celebrities of today, like, you know, ah, special guest Steve Carell or something. Um, it's a, it's an interesting idea. It kind of comes off the heels of the '66 title. I'm I'm kind of surprised that they're launching this as a title, though. I mean, as silly and fun of an idea as it is, I'm not sure who would buy it as an ongoing. I think that Charlie Fish, who's a good writer, I, re- I read a lot of his uh, Brave and the Bold comics that was adapted from the cartoon. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll have to check out the first issue to see how it plays for the series and whether or not it's worth an entire ongoing. You say that was a digital first, though, yeah. It didn't. They didn't say it was actually a digital first, but the fact that it was announced during the DC Digital panel leads me to believe that it will be digital first. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because then, I mean, you get the market there, and I think they judge it from the amount of people downloading that on how many print copies they should make. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long it lasts, but it could be fun while it does. All right, so then the other panel that happened at Comic-Con was the actual Batman panel. Now, in past years at not only Comic-Con International, but also C2E2 and New York Comic-Con, the Batman panel is normally cons- normally consists of uh, the Batman group editor Mike Martz, as well as a number of the writers that are currently on the number of Bat books. Obviously, this would include Nightwing, Batgirl, um, Batwing, Batman Robin, Batman the Dark Knight... Batman, Detective Comics, so forth and so on. The point is that I didn't realize this until the day of, that this panel was literally entitled Batman Year One and consisted of no one but Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, and I don't even remember who the moderator was, but basically it was Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo talking about Batman Year One for an hour. Um, they didn't reveal anything... Year One? Or, or Zero Year? Or Zero Year. They were talking about Zero Year for an hour, and they didn't reveal anything that had not already been revealed, so they spent the entire hour talking about stuff that either one of the two of them have already mentioned on Twitter, or DC has released in the past, whatnot, and so forth and so on. So, um, I'm just going to say there was absolutely no news that came out of that panel, and it was a giant waste, in my opinion, because... Everybody who was already reading Zero Year was probably not going to that panel expecting to just see an hour-long advertisement for Zero Year, which, to me, that's what it was. I actually, uh, when Stella and I were over there, we did a lot of groundwork in terms of delivering news content for the website, but we did not go to the Batman panel. And um, essentially, I mean, there was no big news that uh, that was I was... Uh, I heard of outside of the Batman panel. I mean, most of the big news was other stuff like the video games and uh, the animated stuff. So, um, I and I mean, there's been news that's, that's been announced since then. But like, I mean, I'm not really all that interested in one way or the other, frankly. So, um, I suppose that the fact that like they ded- dedicate the entire thing to Zero Year is kind of a shame for me personally because I'm just not I'm just not really into the story right now. And I think the big thing is outside of the fact that it was just Zero Year. They had other creators. The fact that they chose to have Kyle Higgins there promoting Batman Beyond but not talking at all about Nightwing in one way or the other is kind of weird because knowing that Nightwing is going to be playing a significant role in Forever Evil in some way, shape, or form in the coming months and then to not even have the writer of Nightwing talking about the future of Nightwing leads you to kind of put assumptions together and think that something could be happening. The other weird thing is the fact that none of the other major Bat Book writers 
were ever really on panels. Simone was at a panel uh, earlier in the at the convention on Thursday, like we just talked about. But then John Lehman was there, but never was on a panel. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Kyle Higgins there. He was on the DC Digital panel, but never actually talked about Nightwing. Um, the other writers on the books, Greg Hurwitz, wasn't even in town, which I don't expect every Bat Book writer to be there, but it just is odd that they're not promoting anything except this one event. It just seems like it's gone from let's promote the entire line to let's only focus on what Scott Snyder's doing, and I think that's a shame. That, that um, I have more to say about that, actually, during the Batman Inc. review, so uh, I'll table this for now. I think it's... Definitely a shame. I mean, the it's like Batman's, I think, the biggest selling book like in all of comics at the moment. So they keep promoting. It. I mean, it's that kind of their flagship book at the moment. So yeah, mm-hmm. they want to like, yeah, this is our book, you know, and promote it. But you would have thought they were like, yeah, we've got this, but we've also got all this other stuff. Check it out. So it's a shame that they're not taking advantage of that, especially at Comic Con. But oh well. So that is all of the news that we actually have. Uh, there, there wasn't any actual other news comic-related since Comic-Con uh, Major, I should say. Uh, we do have a number of interviews that Don and Stella performed at Comic-Con with a number of different creators. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we have some of those up on the website. Either that or they will be coming out in the coming weeks. So as I mentioned, we do have a ton of different books to cover. Um, so we will start our comic book reviews with Batman Beyond chap- Digital Chapter 27, 28, and 29. Mom, Matt, there's something I need to tell you. After the show, dear. No! It can't wait. I... I'm... Batman. <laughs> Seriously, I am! Terry, please. Batman Beyond Digital Chapter 27, 28, and 29. We're doing these all in sequence for two reasons. One, because there was three that released in the last three weeks. And two, because the entire story is part one, two, and three of the Batman Beyond, Batgirl Beyond storyline. So we're going to run through the entire storyline and just rate it as an entire story arc, um, since it is all three parts of the same story arc. So uh, this is written by Scott Peterson with artists uh, with art by Annie Wu. Uh, the issue starts off with Barbara Gordon trying to deal with a riot that has broken out in Crown Point, and uh, as she is on her own after she is called backup, she expects backup to not arrive for some time. She starts to basically get worn down because of either age or speed or whatnot, but she gets taken out, makes it to the ground, and all of a sudden somebody in a Batgirl costume approaches, starts helping out, helping her out by taking out a number of thugs. Uh, they dispense of the thugs, and they exchange a number of words. Basically, Batgirl tells Commissioner Gordon that there's a big problem. Somebody's poisoning the people in Gotham City, or in this area of Crown Point, and, and no, nobody's doing anything about it. And uh, that ends the first chapter. Chapter 28, Part 2, basically has Commissioner Gordon at a, the uh, coroner's office, Doing a autopsy on one of the person, one of the people who died recently at Crown Point, and finds out that there is actually something, some sort of substance inside of the inside of the actual people who are dying in Crown Point. Um, we see a little bit of a flashback of Batgirl with some odd-looking Joker face taking <laughs> out Bane, um, and uh, 
she's she's reminded that basically these people are being drugged in a different way, and she's relating it to or she's relating it to Bane. We then see her tell a uh, a uniformed police officer that she's taking their uh, car. She then goes to a build. She goes to see a fa- uh, a prominent businessman who owns a corporation that does a number of different things in the city, including owns, he, he takes care of, he supplies all of the fast food, he owns all the grocery stores, and feeds all the uh, kids at the school cafeteria in the area of Crown Point. Uh, she basically says that there could be something that he's doing, but she hasn't figured out exactly what. He says there's nothing you really can do because you have no proof. She leaves, and as she leaves, she's approached by a number of men who basically want to rough her up. She's about to get shot in the head, and that's the end of Part 2. Part 3, Digital Chapter 29, uh, automatically Batgirl appears, takes out the thugs, and the two of them, uh, basically Commissioner Gordon just watches watches Batgirl take out the thugs as they run off, and uh, the... uh, the uniformed police officer approaches with a warrant. She brings the warrant up to the businessman, and as she brings the warrant up, he tries to attack her. Um, it doesn't work because Batgirl's right is backing her up. After he seemingly gets crushed by a bronze statue of the world, it's unknown, but I assume he didn't actually die. Uh, Commissioner Gordon and Batgirl are having a number of talks. Basically, she says, "You know, we could make up. We could make a good team." I have. I don't have anything, this could be this thing that's with them poisoning the people in Crown Point because the people are so low level, this is basically like the Narrows, um, it seems as if there's other prominent businessmen involved in this scheme as well. She basically says that they could make a great team, but uh, Batgirl kind of snuffs it off and says, you know, you're really you're you're really good for an old lady, but you are, I mean, you know, and she leaves. Uh, then we cut to a scene in a high school where she gets a piece of paper where she basically, we are revealed to that this person who is Batgirl, is, her name is Nisa, and it is revealed that Commissioner Gordon figured out who she was. She's in, really impressed, and they decide that they're going to work together. The end for now. All right, so Batman Beyond Digital Chapters 27, 28, and 29. So this was basically the... the there was, there's two things I want to talk about. The first thing is, obviously, this is the end of the Batman Beyond as we know it. Um, do you think that this was a good story to end on? Even though this wasn't Adam Beechin, it was a different story, but it did focus on a new element that adds into this Batman Beyond universe. Do you think that this was a good end to end it before they reboot it as Batman Beyond Universe and have Kyle Higgins write it? Um, I honestly think that like the last issue was a really good issue to end uh, Batman Beyond on. I think this one kind of feels like an epilogue. And it, I, I honestly kept, kept forgetting that there was ending until you just mentioned it now. So, like, I mean, this was, I, I don't think this is a bad story. I don't think this is a great story. But I think that, like, if it needs to end the series on, I have, I, I'm not sure how I feel about a story that clearly is meant to lead, lead us to something else in the title. So, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, of, I'm of two minds. It was a decent story for what it was. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure if there needs to be a grand story, but I think if they were, you would want to end it, it would be a perfect way to end. Uh, maybe this should, should be like you know a random three-part uh, miniseries that led, led into 
uh, Batman Beyond Universe, and the last issue should have been the end. So um, I'm not angry about it, but but I, I'm I'm kind of ambivalent on it as well. I agree. I just because that the last uh, issue on the last podcast kind of had the world building element to sort of lead into the next series, and I guess this does. I guess this does add another character, and I did enjoy the story a lot. But I agree that um, as far as endings go, it was a pretty perfect one. Last last episode. All right, and then the other thing I want to talk about is. What did you think of this new Batgirl being introduced? Do you think that uh, she's worthy of wearing the costume? The fact that it's it's very much not an origin story. Just she appears, it's revealed at the end of the story, her name, and that she's in high school. But she's basically, she has a very, in my opinion, she has a very similar backstory as far as she is linking herself to the original Batgirl without even knowing it. And then, in turn, taking on the role of Batgirl. And she's still in high school like Terry it was when Terry first became Batman. What do you think of this new Batgirl? We don't know a whole lot about her, but just based off of what we were shown, what do you think about her? Again, I'm of two minds because, like you mentioned, there's a Terry McGinnis analog or, uh, or analogy to be made there. And actually, that's really cool. I'm actually, I'm actually interested to see how Bruce and Terry react to this, that Barbara has her own sort of, pro- not protege, but, you know, like, uh, successor to the mantle kind of come up out of nowhere. I, I think that's a really cool idea. Um, but like, I don't know. I mean, we don't know much about her and that, I think that's, that's intentional, but it almost feels like even for that, I feel like we're missing something. Like, I'm not exactly sure how Barbara figured out who she was. And I'm, I'm left with this issue really unsure if, if, uh, Nissa, Nisa, this new Batgirl knows Barbara Gordon's origin as Batgirl. I mean, Maybe maybe it's hidden there. Maybe it's not. I'm I'm very confused. I don't know, and kind of like as a as a third point, like like um, this character is is shown to be a bit lethal because those those, uh, those like a screamer stick she had looked like they were shooting those those guards. And like at one point she just snaps the guy's neck, and the artist kind of ambivalent as to as to how lethal she was, whether she killed him or not, and. It seems she seems to be kind of a bit of a blase towards that, you know, whether she has a a, a, a pitch on for killing or not, or that Barbara Gordon would allow that. I felt I felt that there was a lot of here that was put in here, and not a lot that was very like uh, explained. If that makes any sense, I mean, right now I'm, I'm fine with the character. I'm interested to see more of her, but I do think there were things that like kind of need, we need to know more about that they uh, kind of left not not necessarily mysterious, but kind of just, just didn't provide enough answers for. I agree the. What looked like the potentially lethal force she was taking on people was uh, that could have been cleared up better. I'm not sure if that was the intent. If it was, then I find that strange. But um, I, I do like the ambiguity, I'll say that, of the character. And I almost wish that they didn't reveal her at the end. Or if they had the, like, you never saw her face, you just saw her taking the note out of her locker to prove to show that Barbara Gordon worked out who she was, but you didn't really find out who she is because I mean she's no one, so there's not really any like big reveal at the end. I like the idea of it being a bit more secretive and then that being worked out, and I think that would have led in better to Carl Higgins's or, or, or into the next series. But we got what we got. There, there was just a, a lack of subtlety at the end. I think. Yeah, my thoughts on this was basically, I thought that there wasn't a whole lot that was given to us 
they're you know getting to find out her name at the end, knowing finding out that she's in high school. That's great, but I felt like I don't know that Kyle Higgins is going to pick up with this character right off the bat, and because of that, I feel like this was kind of like a kind of like a tease. It was like, oh well, we're going to introduce this character and make you really interested, but because it's going straight to a new writer. And that writer probably doesn't necessarily have an intention to use this character right off the bat. We're teasing you, and God knows how long it's going to be before you act, we actually get back to using this character and introducing more of this character. Especially knowing the fact that Kyle Higgins' series is going to take place a year after Adam Beechin's series leads us to believe that you know all, all these questions that we're asking right now about Batgirl are going to be tenfold because now a year has passed now a year has passed and even more stuff has happened. So my thoughts is it's a it's an interesting concept, poorly executed as far as the timing goes. So the Batgirl Beyond stories from Batman Beyond in digital chapter 27, 28, and 29, I'm going to give a total of 2.5 out of 5 Batarangs. I will give it uh, the usual 3. Uh... I liked it, honestly, but like, um, I mean, I, I had some things about it, but they're not really important to mention. And I'm interested to see where it goes. Three out of five batterings. I'll give it three and a half. I thought it was really fun. And the good, the nice thing about these stories is they always go really quickly. That's because of the digital for first format, but they're sort of fun, quick stories to read. And I, this one in particular, I really enjoyed. All right. So, Batman Beyond Digital Chapter 27, 20, and 29 gets a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book. Batman the Dark Knight, number 22. You know what I'd have given for a death scene like this? Too bad I won't get to read the notices. Dark Knight, number 22. Written by Greg Hurwitz. Illustrated by Alex Maliev. (laughs) When allies become deadly enemies. We begin this issue with Commissioner Gordon um, monologuing to himself and... uh, you know, inner thought captions as we see uh, a construction yard and cops uh, racing towards it. And we don't know where he is right now because the next page we see him leave his cop car talking to Bullock and saying there's a, there's a hostage situation at a, uh, at a jewelry heist. So he trades himself in for one of the hostages. And um, uh, when, when one of the guys say, hey, Commissioner, we're happy you decided to join us. Won't be a minute. Yeah, and why is that? So, so Gordon like, like pops out his his Berettas or whatever and just goes buck a buck a buck all over the place, gunning down everybody he sees, including like, one guy who just gives up and like uh, blows his sternum in. Batman shows up and says, "Jim, what did you do? Tell me I just didn't see that." And then he shoots at Batman. Batman punches him out and sucker the blood. It's Clayface. Batman says, "You killed your own men, but why?" And um, so Clayface starts playing with his head, turning into what the comic tells me is Natalia. And attacks him that way. But the question is, how does he know that Natalia knew Bruce? Or how does he know who Natalia is at all? So Clayface escapes in the confusion. And obviously this means that Gordon is in danger because he ain't there. So he's kidnapped. Batman and Alfred are back at the Batcave trying to figure out where he is. And um, while we see that, we see Gordon tied up at this abandoned area, this abandoned warehouse with a uh, chain to the floor. He, he uh, kind of falls over and reveals a very conveniently placed signal with bats flying over it to tell him to, tell him to do the obvious. So, back at the Batcave, Batman, is, Batman and Alfred are trying to wonder uh, where Clayface would be, where Gordon is, and who told Clayface that Natalia knew Batman? Uh, Alfred is saying, like, you, know, has, you hesitated when uh, he turned into her. Um, maybe she, you know, try to, I know you don't like, you like to work alone and everything, but maybe we should try to approach this differently. But Batman's being Batman. He doesn't listen really much. 
Gordon frees himself from his bonds and makes a make creates a makeshift bet signal out of discarded magazine pages and uh, lights it. So Batman sees it outside of his window and rushes towards uh, the source. He rescues Gordon, and uh, they escape through the Batplane. And by the end of the issue, we see that uh, Clayface has been watching in a crowd of uh, innocent bystanders. And um, that's pretty much the end of this issue. Next, can Batman contain the uncontainable? Um, this was a straightforward story, and one thing really, really stood out for me. Um, this might be a short uh, issue to talk about because it's, it's just basically one or two scenes. I just want to say this real quick. When I opened this issue and uh, I read it, I was kind of divorced from the last story. I didn't really know what to expect. So I go in here and I see like Gordon go into the uh, area full of uh, criminals and start shooting them. And the moment I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm done. That, that, that's it for me. I am done. I am quitting the bad books. This is it. I, I don't care what else happens in this comic. I... I give up. I, screw this. This is crap. And then it turned out to be Clayface. That's okay. Never mind. But that that really did give me give me a fright. But um, because Clayface had just recently appeared in uh, Scott Snyder's Batman, what were you guys thinking about his inclusion so soon after that issue? And are you interested to see where this where uh, Hurwitz takes him from here on in? Greg Hurwitz has done some decent things with some of the villains. I, I I've already I've said numerous times I really liked his Penguin Pain and Prejudice. The Scarecrow story wasn't so great. I didn't the the uh, the Mad Hatter story wasn't as great as it could have been either. But he's done some decent things with some of these villains. So, and even if it's not necessarily a great story, it's still kind of introducing these characters to I guess the New Fifty Two audience in a different light, and still giving the new the readers like ourselves the the fans who've been around forever something something different to read. That being said, I don't really like the idea that Clayface was used so soon after he was just used in a two-issue story arc in Batman. Um, and they even make sure to point that out at, in an editor's note at some point during this issue. I don't like the fact that they chose to use Clayface. There are other Batman villains that haven't been focused on that they could have chose to use that they didn't. It's Am I looking forward to this? I, I don't know how many... Issues this story arc is supposed to be. I'm really not. I'm really hoping it's not nearly as long as the last couple's mm-hmm. story arcs that we've had, because it's just not that interesting. And the fact that um, you know the big reveal was all, already happened that you know Commissioner Gordon was kidnapped and being held, and Clayface was being him. Um, I have another problem with the timing of this book because we've got Clayface, and there's a listener Q&A we'll get to, obviously, a little bit later, talking about how I constantly complain about the inconsistencies amongst the Bat books. But nonetheless, I'm going to say it anyway. The, there's, the, there's a huge problem with the fact that you've got a book that releases the fourth week of the month with someone pretending to be other people, and then one one week later we have an annual that comes out where where we are introduced to Jane Doe impersonating other people. So you've got two people, different power sets, or different, I should say, skill sets or whatever, but the reality is you've got two different books coming out within two weeks within two weeks of each other that have people pretending to be other people, and I think that should not be happening. I found this issue interesting, for them, uh, mostly because... It's the first one where you've had any sort of reference to what time this is in, and this does take place after uh, 
Snyder's um, Clayface issue, and it's not just because the editor they say, uh, you know, make sure you get that cage ready from that issue. Um, they, they're not. He's not really referencing that idea of he can become. Uh, he can he becomes that person now, like completely takes on their DNA. But it will be interesting to see if that comes into it. Um, I like the idea. I mean, I'm sure it's happened before, but the idea of like really having to try and work out if there's anything, any recognizable feature in Clayface when he transformed into someone, opposed to like the actual person, if if you can uh, trace that. So uh, there's some interesting ideas in this which I haven't really thought about the character in that way before. Um, I can't <laughs> think of them off the top of my head, but while I was reading it, I was definitely thinking, "Oh, that's that's quite a cool idea. That's interesting." So I'm looking forward to the rest of this, but I agree, I think for some reason I have five issues in my head. I don't know if that's right, but I agree. I hope it's not as long as the Mad Hatter arc. Yes, I think I think like Scarecrow Mad Hatter arcs were at least six issues. Um, not that it matters. Um, my last point, and like I, I don't really want to belabor this as much because I don't think it's you know that that worthy of a topic. But I, I I was a bit curious as to Gordon's characterization in this, not not because he was you know he turned into Clayface. That was fine, but um. We're coming off of the last issue of Batgirl where he clocks Batman in a move which I think he shouldn't have. But like, uh, he's like, you know, I shouldn't give up. I should call Batman. And in another issue, we reference uh, Batman and Gordon's relationship. Um, do you guys find this a bit inconsistent with like, I don't know, like, like he seemed to be mad at Batman or you know, like he should have Batgirl on the brain because he stupidly thinks she killed his son. Did that strike you as did that stri- come across your brain at all when you were reading this, or do you think this is? I mean, if that never happened in Batgirl, I, I would have no problem with this. But I did find it a bit odd that, like, I don't know. It, it, what do you think about Gordon and Batman and this issue as compared to the, uh, to the issues we've read lately? I think that nobody, nobody really knows how to characterize him, um, and I'm saying that across the board. Um, the biggest problems is what we've seen in Batgirl with everything that's happened that Gail Simone's been doing, but I think the problem is that it's, it's again, it's inconsistent, and I guess I'm just going to be the bearer of bad news every single episode when I, when I rant about the inconsistencies amongst these books, but the problem is that you would think that at some point, at one of the many meetings that at least they have an editor to link them all to each other, even if they don't all talk to each other like we used to hear they did all the time, you would think that at some point they would sit down and say, here's what we're going to do as a characterization for this character. This is their this is their, their, their weaknesses, this is their strengths, this is, uh, this is the things that you know, we're going to reference here, this is the things we're going to reference here. Let's try not to contradict each other. The problem is that everybody's doing their own thing. And, you know, that's, that's great, but the problem is that you've got this character who's appearing in multiple different books, looking like an idiot in some <laughs> books, looking completely out of character in other books, and then looking really weak in other books. So, I mean, like, you would think that they would try to nail it down and at least try to get the characterizations. And I'm, this isn't just Gordon. This has happened with Barbara Gordon in different books. Mm-hmm. This has happened with Nightwing in different books. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, this is the problem. Like, they sh- really should try to figure out a way to get these characterizations of the characters down pat and say, this is what we're going to do. You want to use this character? That's fine, but here's this small list of things that you have to stay within. Well, I would ideally like from the Bat books is... Uh, 
a consistent characterization throughout all the books, but a different tone from each one, so that one could be... I mean, when you have three Batman titles, it'd be great if one could be like the superhero one, one could be the detective one, one could be like a, a fun one or or a horror one, something like that. And that might be difficult to do, but I think if you can read it and go, right, that's that character, even if it's in a different tone, then that's what, you know, that's the ideal. Uh, it didn't bother me, their relationship in this book. I think because I read Batgirl as a one-off punch, just like a, you know, I've got to get set out of my system. And, you know, whether you agree with that or not, I, that's how I read it. So it didn't bother, I, I felt that that was once it was out and there and done, Batman understood what happened and Gordon then felt a little bit uh, better after doing that. I mean, it was referenced in the Detective Annual, but um, it, I think that they're both professional enough to get along with each other, and I think that Gordon's not too proud to call on Batman when he needed help, which is what he did, and, and they still have a strong enough relationship to work through it, but like I said, this issue kind of reference this is in a timeline, so this makes it harder to ignore that fact, but uh, it, it didn't bother me. You mentioned them having different tones, but same characterizations for all bad books. I'm not, I hate to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. That Like in the 90s, they had uh, Batman by Doug Moink, and Kelly Jones was like kind of a horror-themed book for a while. Detective Comics was basically like like, like uh, the anime series, kind of a superhero-ish kind of thing uh, in solving crimes with Robin. And um, Shadow of the Bat was sort of like, like Batman dealing with his villains specifically and kind of getting the villains' heads. So it's possible. It's, it's certainly not impossible. It depends on what they want to do in this current uh, regime. But uh, that's all I have for this issue. All right. So Batman the Dark Knight, number 22, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. Uh, despite my heart attack at the beginning when I first read this, I actually did kind of like the narrative. And I, and I thought Alex Malave uh, did really cool with the art, so I'll give it three and a half out of five batterings. I'll also give this three and a half. Yeah, I liked Alex Malave's art. I haven't really read that before, or seen that before. And I also continue to like Greg Kurtz's little dialogue pieces about sort of the cliches of comics. So when he's talking to Alfred, like, oh, shall I take the bait? That sort of stuff. I really enjoy those little pieces. All right, so that's going to give Batman the Dark Knight number 22 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Annual number two. Let me worry about that. Batman Annual number two, story by Scott Snyder and Marguerite Bennett. Sorry for butchering that. Written by the latter with art by Wes Craig. The issue opens with Eric Border and his first night as a new orderly at Arkham Asylum. It also happens to be the night that Batman is testing the Tartarus Wing, a high-security section of the asylum. As Border is being given a tour, he passes a long-forgotten cell from which someone calls out for help, but they keep walking. However, after Border is shunned by Dr. Arkham, he returns to the cell. The inmate's name is the Anchoress, and she stays there willingly in penitence after inadvertently causing her parents' death when an experiment she was working on caused an explosion that destroyed her home. However, the chemicals also gave her the power of quantum tunneling, the ability to travel through walls. Despite her, volunteering, despite her voluntary imprisonment, her cell bars have been fitted with anti-conductor drode, uh, diodes to stop her travelling through them. But after learning that Batman is in the building, she passes through them with ease. She's had a grudge against Batman ever since he filled her... Ever since he filled her sanctuary with insane villains, disrupting her healing. As this is going on, Batman is making his way through the asylum after escaping his cell, 
The, the Anchoress attacks him and blames him for all the madness in Arkham. And here we come to the epic zero-year tie-in, which we'll promise on the cover. Uh, are you ready? So, in Zero Year, Bruce broke into Arkham to steal files because, of course, there were no computer systems back then. <laughs> Anchoress saw him and attacked him before the guards caught her and brought her back to her inescapable cell. Back to present day. Yeah, that really was it. Anchoress uses her powers to attack Bruce's mind by literally putting her fist through his head. This makes him feel all sad and whatnot before the Border and his partner interrupt the torture. They tell Batman to run, which he does, but Anchoress passes through the floor and chases after him up to the roof. Batman gets ready to defend himself, but Border makes it up to the roof in time to stop any violence, as she's clearly sick. Batman leaves and Border makes sure that Anchoress gets a cell where she will get more attention from the staff so that she can heal. The end. So, um, classic question when it comes to these is, was this worth an annual? Um, I'll, I'll say no. <laughs> The Okay, so we've talked about annuals before, and we've complained about how sometimes annuals, they tie too much into the the main series, and that's not really that's not really the intent of necessarily what an annual should be, and we've complimented some annuals because it's a standalone story, and it works well. Other times, it, it kind of pertains to things very briefly, kind of like this one. And we've praised it, and at the same time, there's other times where we've also demolished those. I will say I didn't like this at all. I thought the entire story was dumb. Um, <laughs> the, the you know Basically, the story was, let's lock Batman up in Arkham Asylum and have him break out of this, this, uh, this cell that they're testing. I don't know why in the world Batman would agree to that, number one. <laughs> Since when is Batman on such super-friendly terms with Jeremiah Arkham, who, oh, that's right, he was Black Mask, and somehow he magically got back into be, being in charge of, of Arkham Asylum. Okay, we'll put that aside and just say that never happened because they're ignoring it because of the New 52. Okay, fine. Um, but the I still just don't see Batman ever doing it. Like, Batman might do it on his own, but I doubt, like, that someone's going to call, someone's going to have a phone number for Batman. You know, Commissioner Gordon's going to be sitting in the office, he's going to be like, uh, Chief O'Hara, we need to call Batman on the bath phone and try to get a hold of him so he can test the cell in Arkham Asylum because Jeremiah Arkham says that it's in, it's it's impossible for anyone to break out. Science pass out of us. Yeah, it's it's stupid. And then the fact that it introduced this new villain who supposedly they had to blatantly point out that this was the first person ever that was in Arkham Asylum, even though. The first person who was ever in Arkham Asylum was Mad Dog, and he was the person that Amadeus Arkham killed. Oh wait, that's right, Amadeus Arkham. That story that was taking place in All Star Western. Mm. So now we're contradicting some of the stuff that's been happening in All Star Western with a story that supposedly um, this this chick, the Anchoress, has been sitting in a cell since before your grandfather's grandfather, which means it would have to be well past the 1860s when All-Star Western is taking place, where Amadeus Arkham, the founder of Arkham Asylum, is alive. So, yeah. So many freaking problems, I, I don't even know. I don't like the anchors whatsoever. I think the idea is somebody had this great idea of creating some character, 
and they wanted to use physics and quantum physics and all this molecular junk to explain it. It's it's very remind it's reminding me so much more so of the horrific story that Tony Daniel did two two years ago, right before he stopped, mm-hmm. where it was the crazy let's explain every bit of science imaginable, but none of it's actually real science. That's what I I felt like I was reading here, and the fact that like this character could have actually been plugged in. Anywhere possible. I mean, it could have been like, hey, I got this idea for a villain. Oh, okay. Um, let me think. Or this is this is my... And I say this with a little bit of respect, but also a little bit of disrespect. The, the fact that the person who wrote this is another one of Scott Snyder's former uh, students. And I just get this odd suspicion that this person was like, hey, I've got this awesome idea for a villain. Oh, really? What's the the idea? Well, it's involving all this like quantum physics and stuff and blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Cool. How about you want to write it in Batman? Well, I wasn't really thinking about it, but hey, it's Batman. Why not? The year zero-year tie-in <laughs> joke. <laughs> That's all I got. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, I, 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 I don't like the story, but I, I did not nearly hate on it as much as you guys, uh, as much as Dustin clearly does, and Joe might be. Um, the zero year time was 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 effing obnoxious. It was about as, as obnoxious as it comes. I mean, like I have, I can't remember the last time I've seen so much promotion for a story that has delivered so little so far. I mean, it's, it's like well, on chapter three right now, like it's not that big of a deal. So like, why is it like the zero year? Oh, I don't care. But I, I mean, like this story kind of feel this this felt like a very very bronze ageian story to me, which is why I I really like. I didn't blink an eye at Batman and you're saying, sure, I'll help you guys test Arkham Asylum's defenses. I mean, I agree. It's a Batman of a certain era kind of decision to do, and it probably doesn't fit this Batman, but, like, I don't know. I'm Especially s- since this is supposed to be Scott Snyder's Batman, since it's happening in Batman. New Zero. Or- co-ri- co-written by Scott Snyder or whatever they want to call it. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I mean... I, I, I agree that, like, like it's, it's a thing that Batman would do of an older era, but... I don't know. I, I never. I, I. I. honestly didn't have a problem with it. It, it doesn't scream like an. It's not an Adam West thing to do. I, I can see. I can see Daniel O'Neill's Batman doing it. You know, and and even then, it's still silly. It's a silly thing for Batman to do. He, he is wasting his time. But because like I, I can find it somewhere else. I don't really balk at it much here. Um, the Anchorage to me that it, it, that did kind of scream to me as like you know an idea someone had one day that was put in a Batman story that probably didn't necessarily. Need to be. I mean, this this is one of those kind of things where you can find in a Superman story or, or a Flash story. It's a, it's a villain that you know works in any other character story. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but it also kind of means that it's less memorable. And I don't know if I like the idea of of, of, a, of a character that like you know like this an age dependent character like you know that that was there for a while and now looks old and everything. That feels a bit too supernatural in me and i'm not sure how i feel about that being arkham, arkham uh, asylum so i mean it was, this, this issue also kind of felt to me like it was very much dependent on how dark can we make it and the whole thing with robin like oh father wasn't i good enough and they pulled that stunt with jason todd back in the day but i'm not I, i'm not i'm not really keen on seeing damien's nose run when he's being impaled it felt very it felt maudlin and 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 like the, um, i think this is going for like a very dark tone and a very strong emotion and it felt melodramatic to me Again, I I really didn't hate this story, but it 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 wasn't it wasn't great either. Honestly, I didn't 
hate the story. I, I didn't realise how many problems there were with it, which Dustin obviously pointed out. Um, as far as annuals go, I thought this was fine for an annual because annuals are something that you can either pick up if you're interested or leave. What I don't appreciate is being outright lied to and then say, oh, pick this up, tie into zero year, when it was just mentioned. <laughs> it had like... One page. It, it, it was like... Not only was it one page, but there was just nothing in there of relevance. It kind of just mentioned the Red Hood gang, as in he went to Arkham Asylum to pick up some files on the Red Hood gang, and that was it. There was no story progression or anything. It was just like, yeah, yeah, see, told you. And I, yeah, I was disgusted by the fact that <laughs> this was, however much it was, with that so big on the title saying zero, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, they just spat in my face. That's how they do in the new 52. <laughs> so, yeah, as far as the story goes, I thought it was fine. fine. It's definitely fine for an annual, like, kind of... I guess it's supposed to be one of those, you know, what good is Batman doing in, with, you know, just putting people in Arkham? I don't... I don't I'm so tired. I'm sorry. I'm so tired of that story. It's, it's, it's like... You're not going to convince readers that like Batman's a bad thing for Gotham City. It's it's just like Kimmy comes off as whining, like, like pointless whining. Do you really not not want Batman there? Oh, because then the villains will go away. Bull. <laughs> Sorry. It's also one of those stories where it's like, oh look, there are good people in Gotham who don't put on masks because there's the the border guy who's like, oh you know, I want I want to genuinely help this person, which is you know a, an alright story, and it it's fine to take place in this uh, like. Not out of continuity, but out of the main uh, focus of the story. So I, I didn't mind it for that. Um, and then the other thing I had was, do you have any comments on Bennett's writing? I'm not sure if we're going to see her more throughout uh, Snyder's run or if this was a one-off, but do you have any thoughts on that? Nope. Well, I know that she's. She, this is a one-off as far as the Bat books go. Um, I don't know of any plans as of right now that she's going to be linked like James Tinian was on the backups on uh, d- during uh, Court of Owls and Death of the Family and things like that. Uh, there's no, no nothing right now that's planned. She is doing, I believe, two villain stories during Villains Month. Both are unrelated to the Batman universe, but that's where she's going. Um, outside of that, it, she's not attached to any specific book as of right now. That's not to say she won't be in the future, but... Um, nothing Batman related right now. Do I have any comments? I mean, like, she clearly has some ideas. I just don't... I think the problem is that they just need to... They need to be attributed to the correct area of the DC Universe if she's going to stick at DC. Uh, Some random person who's been around for 200 years who they're going to use quantum physics to explain all of this stuff, that's great. And, you know, I'm okay with that, but it doesn't seem like that's the, the place for that that is is Batman. That's more of like a sci-fi thing, so you put it in somebody who is sci-fi related, not Batman, who has nothing really to do with sci-fi most of the time. So, that's my, that's my thing. I, I really would hope that she didn't just get this gig because of Scott Snyder. And someone actually said, hey, this is a good idea. And then that person who said, hey, it's a good idea, I hope they're fired because this wow. is not a good idea. So, 
Yeah, and I, and I know I'm sounding harsh, and you know I I'm normally not this harsh, but I read this and was just I was pissed that I wasted my time reading it because I found it to be so outside of what you are we are seeing in Batman, and ju- and I just look at it from the perspective of look at the annual we got last year for Batman, which told the origin of Mister Freeze. Look at this annual. It says it's supposed to be zero year. We linked to zero year by a mention, you know, basically a mention, and that's a lo- and that's it. And we're introduced introduced this character who never existed, even though we have a humongous rogues gallery of characters that they could use. But instead, they're going to introduce this new character who has nothing to do with anything, just so that they can tell this story. That to me is a waste of time and money on my part to be doing something like this that has nothing to do with it. It really just comes off as they brought this person and said, hey, what kind of ideas do you have? They spit an idea out and they said, hey, okay, well, let's work on this annual right here, which is poor placement. All right, so Batman annual number two. I don't think it, this is uh, Can't completely wait. unexpected, but I'm giving it a 0.5. God! <laughs> I honestly didn't think it was that bad. Uh, <laughs> I give it two and a half out of five batterings. I'll also give this a two and a half. Alright, so Batman Annual number two gets a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics Annual number two. Watch yourselves, man. These guys are crazy. Written by John Lehman and Joshua, Joshua Williamson, art by Scott Eaton. The issue starts off one week ago. We see Batman talking about some events that happened at the the Bank of Gotham, where a woman came in who was a Gotham socialite. Turns out she was actually dead, and somebody was in her was disguised as her. And uh, we find out that this person is not an old woman at all. And starts throwing around the rent to cops, shooting people, and then disappears. Batman actually appears. And uh, finds out that uh, she's trained in multiple different martial arts. And she has skills that are dumbfounded as far as what she's doing. Uh, Batman chases her to a dead end. But as he approaches the dead end, she's completely gone. Um, But all that's left is the face of the... appears to be a mask of the person that she was. Uh, Not far away, but getting farther away, we see... Wrath's uh, flying vehicle over Gotham City, which I don't know how anybody could miss it, but <laughs> it's flying over Gotham, and it happened to pick up this character who we are, well, it's not introduced right away, but we are led to believe that it's nobody but Jane Doe. Uh, meanwhile, and basically, he tells her, I've got something for you. I need somebody inside of GCPD. Uh, now, here we are a week later, Current times, Batman is investigating with James Gordon a bunch of cop murders, which they know has to do with Wrath. Uh, while they're investigating two cops that were being killed, they came across a body not that far away. We are introduced to Abigail Wilborn, a department psychologist, who uh, it seems Bullock has the hots for. Um, after some... After some looking into it, Batman finds out that the body that they found is actually of Brenda Levins, a person who happened to uh, rob a jewelry store about 12 days ago, but she also went missing 12 days ago. Uh, Meanwhile, we find out uh, through a bunch of exposition that Batman has been dealing with a number of different situations where it seems that 
he's been pushing himself to the edge because of all of the villains that he's been facing recently. Um, afterwards, we are we find out that a police officer has it has is holding his family hostage. Batman takes him out, um, and the department says that they're going to get him some help. Batman notices that Harvey Bullock is wearing some cologne, and he Bullock explains to Batman that the best way to try to figure out what they can about the cop killer is by talking to uh, Dr. Wilborn, specifically because uh, she has some information has been putting together an analysis on the Jane Doe killer. Um, we then see Batman take the information, head back to the Batcave, start researching it. Um, he then just deduces that the person is probably hiding out in a mannequin factory. He uh, comes to the mannequin factory only to find Harvey Bullock fighting uh, fighting Dr. Wilborn. Uh, moments later, it's revealed that Harvey Bullock is a dis- is not Harvey Bullock. It's actually a disguise, and it's actually Jane Doe. Uh, after Batman takes out Jane Doe, we find out that Harvey Bullock is locked up and has been making him watch her be him for a good amount of time. Um, Harvey Bullock is kind of upset because he wanted to really be, he wanted to have something going with Abigail, but Abigail fell in love with Jane Doe acting as Harvey Bullock, and now she doesn't even want to look at Harvey Bullock. Jane Doe gets taken away. Um, it's explained that uh, she's been doing this for a while, and then we—that's uh, the end. Uh, next one, next story, uh, also written by John Lehman and Josh Williamson. This time, the art is by Seisman Gadransky. Takes place in Arkham Asylum. Harvey Bullock approaches. Uh, it appears that Doctor Wilborn moved to Arkham Asylum to get away from the police department to put some space between her and Harvey Bullock. But Harvey Bullock has come to um, visit her. Um, right in the middle of Jane Doe trying to get a session in with Dr. Wilborn. Um, after Dr. Wilborn, um, after Harvey Bullock has uh, kind of like a shout-out fest with Jane Doe, uh, we, we basically cut to the next story, which is back when Jane Doe was Harvey Bullock, and this is the art is by Durless Santa Cruz, um, basically, it's sh- we're we shown exactly how Jane Doe took over the idea, the the personality, and did what she, did what she did to make Harvey Bullock watch her become him. Um, and Harvey Bullock comments on that she was doing things that he never thought that he could do. She was better in some ways than he could ever be, and then he even showed that he, she could make Harvey Bullock fall in love with Abigail. Uh, we then see kind of like a the fallout of the events that happened in the first story, and then we see Harvey Bullock sitting at a bar where someone walks up to him and says, hey, you're that guy who caught the robbers, and he gets really upset and says, no, you're thinking of somebody else. No, I'm sure that wasn't me. I'm, th- I'm sure you're thinking of somebody else, and that is the end. All right, so Detective Comics number, or Detective Comics Annual number two, um, just a couple of things. What did you guys think of the introduction of Jane Doe? And uh, since this is the first time we've seen her in the New Fifty Two, how do you think the introduction went? Number one, and how do you think this character differs from the previous Jane Doe, if at all? If at all is a word, uh, because I mean, I know it's been a couple of years since we, the three of us, talked about Jane Doe, but it's not been that long, relatively, when when Danny was writing her, I believe. Um, 
You know, it's funny because I mean, I'm sure she was introduced like within the last five, like, in between Infinite Crisis and the New Fifty Two, uh, with the actual origin story. But I honestly don't remember what that origin story was, and I'm, so I'm not exactly sure how much she differs. Besides, um, there's a bit more. We, we see a bit more of her uh, process and becoming other people. Um, I mean, I liked it. I liked, I liked it fine. To me, there is a lot of similarities. Take a shot with uh, Spider-Man's villain, Chameleon. In fact, there was a Chameleon story very recently where the entire time uh, we saw how he had uh, uh, pret- pretended to be Peter Parker and gone through his life. So, like, there's a lot of similarities I'm seeing here, but it's still an interesting story to tell. I think that this is a, re- this is a really solid way to do it. I'm not... I mean, Jane Doe was such a recent Batman villain that, like, uh, this, is, this is totally up... I don't have a problem with any changes that they did do, if, if there are many. And uh, of, all, of all the writers to take her on, John Lehman is definitely one that I, that I was happy to see with because I think he gave her the right, uh, he gave her the right uh, amount of comic book villain interest and, you know, like, like serial killer creepiness to her, which it, it didn't come off as over the top, but it was still kind of, you know, comic booky and interesting and cool. So, um, I mean, I, don't, I really don't remember, uh, you guys might have to tell me how she's different from the previous version, but I liked her in this. I also liked her. I actually thought that she was a Dini creation um, because mm-hmm. he created so many villains during his uh, run, especially on the streets of Gotham. Um, and that's why I really liked her hideout of the mannequin factory. It's definitely a Dini-esque sort of uh, animated series hideout, you know, relating to the villain. I enjoy that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I I liked her... And, because I mean, she's not like a, a you know an A list villain, but it was nice that he, there was someone you know to fill that role. So it's no need to create someone because there's already a character there. Even if they're less, they are lesser known. Then you know it's great to create awareness for that character and use someone who's already there. You know, expand the universe and expand that character's history. Well, I'll see this. The origin's not that much different, and that's what I was trying seeing if you what you guys thought. The origin's not that different from what she had. It's not It's not exactly the same, but it's pretty much she has the same powers. She's doing the exact same thing. They did make it a little bit more than I remember as far as her being able to do two different types of martial arts, her being an excellent, uh, excellent person with a gun. But at the same time, I guess if she picked up these skills as she was imitating and mimicking these other people, it makes sense that she would have these other skills. The... The thing is, I don't. I didn't really mind it. It, it. To me, it was fine to introduce the character. And I think an annual or a one story or one issue story would have been perfect for this character because she's not a very major character. It's introducing her to the New Fifty Two. It's introducing her to the characters. The fact that they never actually said this is Jane Doe. They just kept referring to her as the Jane Doe Killer. It was interesting because. You could see small little differences where the fact of you could tell that this is supposedly the first time we've ever met her. I think that worked out well. The I didn't really have, I, I honestly don't have any problems with her herself. I do find it funny that again we do see the shoehorn of what's currently happening in Detective Comics happen in this book, like we just like I just said in Batman with the zero year happening and, and Joe pointed out, but this one just randomly has. Wrath appear on one page, and then them mention Wrath a couple times throughout, and then somehow tie her origin story to Wrath, leading us to believe that, of course, this character is just popping up now and has never been around ever before. 
So the other thing I wanted to say was this this is very, very similar to what we saw a couple months ago with the oversized Detective Unofficial 900th issue. Um, I wanted I wanted to get your guys' thoughts because this was set up very similar where it was like one story from different points of view or it was one story overall broken into three separate stories within different time areas of the same story or within from a different perspective. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on whether you think that still works with this story like it did a couple months ago with the oversized Detective Comics issue or do you think that this is something that maybe is something that's being a little bit overused? Um, I think when it's used, it's used well, typically. I don't think there's been any story where, like, you know, there's been an excess of backup stories. I think, like, the 900 issue that they did was a little bit overindulgent, but ultimately that, was, that didn't really mark down the issue too much. I think that, like, the fact that, like, this is all connected to where it's the same story worked really well in its favor. Um, so I... I'm not. I'm not. I'm not advocating that they do this all the time, but if they're going to do it like this, then I won't have a problem with it. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, save it for these bumper size issues because otherwise you're going to have so little story to work within a 22 page or 20 page comic. Um, I, I like the definitely like the main story and the look at Jane Doe and her kind of psychosis. That was uh, a good little short story. Um, Harvey. The look one I found less interesting, but it was still um, interesting to see his perspective on it. So Detective Comics Annual Number 2, I'm going to give a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. I'll give this 3.5 out of 5 batterings. I thought it was a perfectly enjoyable comic. Uh, yeah, the, the one complaint that I did have was um, typically, or we've always seen Jane Doe kill and then skin her victim to and then just wear their face so i know bullock's probably too much of a main character to do that i wonder if there was any temptation to try and write that in and if editorial said no or if it was always the plan to just have a copy but that was a slight irritation not that i want harvey bullock dead just that uh, that kind of departure from the character but i i also enjoyed this a lot so three and a half out of five batterings Alright, so that's going to give Detective Comics Annual number 2 a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman and Robin number 22, or Batman and Catwoman. I am Catwoman. Wow. Batman and Catwoman number 22, Despair, written by Peter J. Tomasi, illustrated by Patrick Gleason. Um, this issue begins with Catwoman. Uh, for me, it's the first time I've seen her in a while. Not, I've dropped her title. Um, she's stealing stuff. When she gets a uh, a call on com on her uh, Cowell's com link about somebody basically telling her to do a job because she works with the JLA now, so she has missions. We cut to Wayne Manor at 11 a.m. in the morning, where Bruce Wayne is grumpily making himself coffee, and we see Carrie Kelly, his new um, not ward or partner or anything, basically his new dog carer taker, uh, who Bruce doesn't know of, but he says, uh, but Alfred tells him that she's been working there for the past three weeks. So she playfully says, yeah, you know, um, uh, I'm taking care of the dog, and you promised me that I would, I would talk to Damien. I have uh, copies of Damien in, in my, uh, the, 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 the practicing, of, you know, the, the, uh, the acting practicing that they did together on a hard drive. But uh, she said, I'll give you these if you let me talk to Damien. So she's, so she's playing with him. And she's being, <laughs> as I'm looking at these images, she's being very silly with it. Um, so... 
Batman is actually going on Audacity, <laughs> editing together uh, past Com Link adventures, and we actually see, see a dialogue from issue one of him and Damien. And he he looks very very. The art says it all. How he feels hearing Damien's voice again, um, and what he's doing is rather ghoulish. But never mind. So he um, he uh, sees on the back computer that that uh, Catwoman has uh, is trying to reach him with her own cat signal. And she basically says, I, I've been given instructions to rescue this uh, person from the Chinese, China, Chinese embassy, and I need your help to do it. It turns out to be a uh, little girl who's basically caught in a political scuttlebutt between a, um, a Chinese ambassador and supervillains. And because it's a little girl you know, wanting her parents, Batman sympathizes, so he helps Catwoman kick their butts. So um, Batman and Catwoman easily save the girl. And Batman actually rewards her with a, hel- a replaced helmet that he broke in um, a passage of Catwoman a few months ago. Uh, across town, we see Carrie come back from her job as an usher with a creepy-looking face. Um, with a recording on her phone by, Dam- by quote-unquote Damien, saying that he's, you know, traveling in Beijing to, uh, you know, be taught around the world. Finally, we see uh, a diner where we see Two-Face about to pull a job, and as he flips his coin, Good Side comes up and he just leaves. Next, Nightwing. So this issue is yet another chapter in the uh, list of uh, basically going through the five stages of grief for Batman after he lost his son. Um, we see some further development with Carrie and uh, how she's kind of like getting along with, with Alfred, with Titus, the dog. And with Batman. And personally, I thought she was a lot more agreeable than she's been in the last couple of appearances. Joe laughs. So I'm wondering, what, 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 what do you guys think about her in this issue compared to her last few appearances? I think that when we first saw her, we kind of liked her. We don't really like her in her subsequent appearances. How, what do you think about her in this? I continue to detest her. I think the problem is that I don't... I think the way she's being written isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think the problem that I have is actually the way she's drawn. I don't really, it's not that I don't like Patrick Leeson's art. It's just the way she's drawn, she comes across as having a specific type of personality. The writing doesn't necessarily match that in my opinion. And that's where I have kind of the problem. She doesn't look like the character that is being, is being the dialogue is being written for. And that's the problem that I have. It's not so much that I dislike her, um, I do think that I don't like the idea that she's so absolutely obnoxious and snotty all the time because, like, it's one thing to, like, make her hip and blah, 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 but she's just, like, completely rude, and I, I, I don't like that at all. And the fact that it's slowly being explained, you know, why she was involved with Damien, but not really, is kind of annoying, too. So I think that overall... It would just be great to um, wrap it up in some way, but who knows how long it's actually going to take before they wrap it up. That's an interesting uh, theory about the art not quite matching up with the um, dialogue. I'm not sure I totally buy that. Maybe it's just because I see them go so hand in hand. What I will say is I definitely think she's meant to be written this way. I don't think I'm that she's meant to be a, a cool hip character and then I'm just having problems with it. I think she's meant to be kind of obnoxious and rude, and and I think that's kind of she's acting as a catalyst for them, Brewster, kind of start. Being, I still, you know, don't know why he doesn't just tell her. I mean, the look on her face is is pretty much sums up how I feel about her when like he's drinking coffee. Um, but yeah, I think that she's kind of leading into the him 
starting to move on a bit and sort of look back at, at Damien. And I think that unless it's just because I was so annoyed with Carrie Kelly in this issue, this is the first one where I wasn't irritated by Bruce and I felt that it was um, either moving on a bit or if it was matching other tones or perhaps, yeah. So I, I felt that and it, it, there was less of uh, him just taking out on other people in this. So, and just more quiet, but I, I definitely liked his character, Bruce's characterization more in this issue. I think I, I, I uh, liked Kelly, Kelly, I, I think I did it before, Carrie more in this because, I don't know, I think that like her attitude, whatever it was in this, was less abrasive. It was less, I, I, to me, maybe it's because of the art, but she was less like demanding, like, like you told me where he is now, as though she had any say in doing that. Um, to me, she was just she was just just very kind of like like playful, and she's like, okay, I'll give you this if you let me talk to Damien. I don't know, it, it felt a bit more funny, honestly. And I, I kind of go back to like you know the original character in Dark Knight Returns, where she was a kid, she was much younger, and when she first meets Batman, she's very much in awe of him. But like throughout throughout their partnership, she is very playful with him. Like you know when when they're kind of like uh, flying towards uh, David Letterman to stop the Joker. And he says, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to fly the, the helicopter. You wouldn't understand anyway. And she's like, she's like, I, f- I figured I wouldn't anyway. Like, she's very like, kind of like, almost not taking it seriously. And I see a lot of that in here, almost to, to, to the next logical step with her being older and her having more autonomy as a college student. And I, I find it fun. I don't like it when, I think I think a lot of people really try to characterize their female characters by making them really obnoxious. Barbara Gordon's a huge example of that. And there's sometimes where it's justified, but much of, much of the time, it feels like they're just writing them to be bitchy for no reason. And I think that, like, there is a there is a uh, trend in doing that a lot with the Batman characters. And whenever you kind of write a character that's kind of, like, like feisty and assertive, without them being just downright unpleasant, that's always welcome. And it's, it's, and it's genuinely appealing. I, I find it genuinely appealing in this issue. Um, so this issue is called Despair. I don't know why. Uh, and uh, I, Personally, I was actually kind of confused as to how this related at all to Batman's uh, bereavement. Catwoman didn't do anything to help him besides, I guess, save a child. Um, and it was kind of nice seeing Batman, you know, not screaming. I'm not sure exactly sure how this fit into the whole story that, that Tomas is telling. Did you guys see any, anything that, that related to that, like the past issues? And if you did, please enlighten me. No, nothing specifically. I mean, there was just a reflection of him looking back at... Damien through the the voice thing and then you know the girl he saved at the end I guess there was a bit of like tender moment there with him and you know managing to actually save a small child for once um, but no it didn't seem to really flow I guess from last issue to this one but I appreciate that because like I said I think that this was a much better characterization of Bruce and, and Batman in this and the past issues. There was a bit of a over-the-top violence, I guess, just in them breaking into the Chinese embassy. There was a lot of uh, like strangling and scratching and punching of the <laughs> face and blood flying everywhere to people who I'm pretty sure, at least at the time, they didn't know were doing anything wrong. So, unless I missed something or am politically naive, that seemed a bit over-the-top. But uh, I enjoyed the scene when they burst in and see all like, the weird supervillains. I always just love the wackiness that comics can do sometimes, just like characters you've never seen or heard of before and just making them as bizarre as possible. I really like the line, stay back, continue to point that gun at us and I guarantee you will never walk again. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> I really did. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't see... I mean, Batman is not as tight-ass in this. And, you know, I don't... I mean, like, that's nice to see, but I'm not sure why. Last issue, he was, like, screaming his head off. You heard Stella say it. And, like, he's still sad over Damien. That's obvious. That's natural. I have no problem with that. But, like, I don't know. Is Catwoman, is Catwoman the one to, like, make him feel better? Like, I mean, there's three... We had three straight issues of him yelling at Tim, yelling at Jason, yelling at Barbara. And there was no tonal shift or emotional shift, which really irked me, because that's not the point of this, this story. But this one, he's just kind of like, you know... Da, 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 and like I don't know. I mean, it's nice to see, but like I do want it to make sense. Uh, so that I mean that like just just like objectively takes the issue down a bit because it's it's not really doing what it's supposed to be doing in a, in a gradual logical way. But I, I have to say I did I did like it, but I, I don't think I'm supposed to like it. And that's pretty much all I got to say on this. You would have thought that this was the acceptance one, not that there was anything relating to that, just but uh, but just that. Robin wasn't trying. Uh, he wasn't trying to bring back Robin from the dead. So you would assume that by now he's realised that he's in fact dead and he can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's, I, I guess he's starting. He's starting to upset it. Although that, that's not. I'm not seeing how that's implicitly stated. But not what I would say. It's not a huge thing. All right. So Batman and Robin number twenty-two. I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I will give this a four because what what negatives there are. I actually did enjoy what, what this issue was doing. I thought the art was pretty good. And I liked Carrie in it. And, you know, it's, it, I like seeing Batman smile. As much as he never, ever does that, I like when he does. I will also give this a three, and it was great to see Patrick Gleason back on art. As weird as he draws Carrie Kelly, the rest of the characters are. It's, it's nice to see his art again. All right, so Batman Robin number 22 gets a total of three out of five better ranks. Let's move into our last book, Batman Incorporated number 13. Who are you? Why are you doing this? You're the great detective. Figure it out. Batman Incorporated number 13 for the final time, written by Grant Morrison with art by Chris Burnham. The issue opens at Wayne Manor with Commissioner Gordon arresting Bruce for accusations of endangering Gotham. Through Gordon's internal narrative, we learn that he wanted to be the one to bring Bruce in as he knows he's a good person and begins to ask how the whole situation arose. Bruce starts with Talia and his son. We cut to the Batcave where Talia descends the stairs and throws Batman a sword ready to duel. Talia taunts Batman to kiss her and as he does so we see flashes of Batman Inc. securing the trigger to the world bomb. Batman and Talia begin to duel and she makes it clear that the only way to save the city is for Batman to kill her. Batman and Talia strike blades so hard that they shatter and the shrapnel cuts them both but Batman begins to hallucinate and fall to his knees as it is revealed the blades were coated in poison. As Batman lays dying with Talia taunting him, Jason bursts into the scene with the trigger yelling, don't kill him, and swaps it with Talia for the antidote for Bruce. She makes the switch and triggers the bomb to reveal that it has already been disarmed. Meanwhile, Bruce has taken the antidote and risen to tell Talia that she may think she owns the world, but she will never own Gotham City. Talia continues to taunt him before she looks up to see Kathy Kane, who shoots her in the head. She tells Bruce not to come looking for her before she disappears. We cut back to the interrogation room of the GCPD where Gordon receives a note saying that the mystery woman at the government has shut down the whole investigation. Bruce tells Gordon that Batman may finally be dead, but Gordon tells him that he's heard that one before and that, Gordon, and that Gotham may need him now more than ever. As Bruce, leaves the police, as Bruce leaves the police station, he is greeted by Alfred, who takes him back to Wayne Manor to show him something. In the Wayne family grave, graveyard plot, both Talia and Damien's graves have been emptied. 
Gordon's narrative continues as he voices his suspicions on Batman and Bruce Wayne, but more so about Batman's constant battle and how he always comes back bigger and better. When they have a short, we then have a short epilogue in which Rachel Ghoul is harvesting Lord Deathman's Lazarus blood to give Talia a new life, and Rachel vows to rebuild his empire in darkness and take revenge on Batman as he reveals a room full of Damien clones just waiting to be born, followed by an Ouroboros ring. So I guess the first question is, um, was it a satisfying end to the series, but more so just Grant Horison's entire run on Batman? I mean, we called this last uh, we called this last episode, I believe it was, when we reviewed 12, when we were talking about what do we think the ending of it was going to be. We basically said Talia has to die. Talia did die. And at the time, it was also determined that it was probably going to be Kathy Kane that saw that you know, that uh, saves Batman in the end because of Grant Morrison's love for Kathy Kane. So I think if you listen to the previous episode, I think you'll be, you'll see that, you know, I think we were pretty spot on with what actually happened with those few minor things here and there. Um, do I think it's a proper ending? Mm, uh, not really. I don't think it was. I don't think it was a bad story, and I don't really mind the fact that Kathy Kane shows up at the last second because the only problem that I have with Kathy Kane is the fact that they really didn't reveal at any other point that she was really back. You know, they hinted at it in the last couple issues, but they never really said here she is, she's back. Instead, she just bam appears and at the same time shoots a gun and kills Talia, and it's like uh, I don't know. I mean, like, at the same point, we also said that Ra's al Ghul was probably going to take back the League, of the League of Assassins, which he clearly does at the end of here. So, I mean, like, it does put everything kind of back in place. It gets rid of Batman Incorporated. It kind of separates Bruce Wayne from Batman. Um, so it kind of puts everything back at square one before all this Batman Incorporated stuff happened with Grant Morrison. But at the same time... I don't really feel super fulfilled by this issue, and that's the, that's the only problem that I have with it. I don't think it was bad, I just don't feel super fulfilled, and that might be because we saw the ending coming, I don't know. This is actually a very interesting issue to talk about, because I think that there are so many things to play into it. Uh, to address the question, as an ending to Morrison's run, it's interesting because he's had so many different aspects of his run. You have the original Batman run. Which led into the Black Glove, you know, Batman Son, Black Glove, and R.I.P. You have Batman and Robin with Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne. You have the original Batman Inc. story with uh, that, that glowing yellow oval costume. And then you have Batman Inc. Volume 2, which is basically like the final battle between Batman Inc. the Leviathan. And it's almost, it feels more like a story between that and like the, only the last couple of pages feel like a story in the, an ending to Morrison's run. So this to me felt more of an ending to the Leviathan story rather than like, you know, Morrison's run as a whole. Although there are so many aspects of that, um, I did. I thought this was actually a, a very. I thought it was kind of a lame ending, ultimately, to the story. But, and this this might lead to discussion here, and this is also subjective. I don't honestly blame Morrison for that, based off of like what he has said in interviews and based off the general vibe of the Bat books and how DC runs things right now. And this is something I kind of hope that we can get kind of get into a little bit later on. But like. I honestly feel a lot of like apathy and contempt in this in the writing of this issue, and I think that like the way in which it ends and how kind of like really, I think limbrous it, it kind of ends. I think Morrison was kind of showing us his hand at his feelings towards DC, 
and I don't necessarily blame for that. And like you know, I I, mean, I don't hate this issue, but I do think that this issue could have been delivered a lot better. Because the finale to his other stories have been delivered better too. Batman and Robin finale was awesome. The Batman R.I.P. finale was awesome. And I think this one feels almost transparently weak in comparison. But I think there's a specific reason for that, and I hope that we kind of get into it uh, a bit down the line. I think while I was reading it, I, I got a sense of like, oh, is that kind of it? I think because it's such it's been such a long time coming, and I. Like we were building towards an ending, but I didn't really want it to end, and uh, it kind of just felt like, oh, okay. But then I think just the ending on the Ouroboros ring, and like with the references throughout, like it all comes around, like it's circular, like and then ending on the Ouroboros ring with Damien's clone, knowing like it's basically there is no end because it just it's just going to go again and keep going, and that's how I as in like the next issue like pick up Batman and Son again and start reading from there and it's just going to happen again and it's kind of means it is all contained and it's kind of is Morrison's own thing and I really kind of that turned me around and I really enjoyed it looking at it that way the other thing I kind of want to talk about is like do you think that this series I mean Dustin just points uh, touched upon it but do you think that it was affected by the new 52 did it operate outside of it or do you wish that there any there was more cohesion between this title and the others well, I'll say this. I thought that this, <laughs> there was no cohesion at all. I mean, like, basically, the Grant Morrison killing Damien in the pages of Batman Incorporated was really the one and only thing that had any ramifications in the other series. If Grant Morrison didn't kill Damien in Batman Incorporated, nobody probably would have even referenced anything related to Batman Incorporated. I think the biggest problem with Batman Incorporated was not Batman Incorporated itself, but DC Comics deciding to do the New 52 and then still trying to figure out a way to still have this happen. In my opinion, what they should have done was, you know, they did that uh, one shot back in uh, December, right after the New 52 started. It was December of 2011. Um, they did that one shot that was basically the last couple issues of Batman Incorporated prior to the New 52, um, and they edited it heavily, and and even though it dealt with spoiler and blah, blah, and even though spoiler didn't exist in the New 52, or not spoiler, but Stephanie Brown is back role, they, they kind of dealt with that, and this, that, and the other, and I think the, what they could have done was just said, okay, well, Grant, we know you want to finish this story, doesn't really fit into what we're doing monthly so why don't you just write an oversized graphic novel and tell the story exactly the way you want you got two years to do it anybody who's going to anybody who was following Batman Incorporated will look forward to whenever the heck it does come out and that way it's not going to do anything to the books that way he could still kill Damien in the pages of Batman Incorporated but not necessarily it, it didn't necessarily have to be felt in all of the other books I don't think that, in my mind, DC really wanted to get rid of Damien, because if that was the case, they wouldn't have had a book called Batman and Robin with the New 52. I also don't believe that they would have had Damien appear in the books, that he, as many books as he did appear in, if they if he was just going to be killed off, and that was the, the, the overall intent from the very beginning. If that was the overall intent, DC should have just left Damien to only be in... Grant Morrison's book, and that's it. The thing was, that's not what they did. They they branched him off. He became a popular character. As time progressed, he became a much more...
fan likable character too. And they what they should have done was once they figured out that you know they should have said, so Grant, here's the thing: you want to do 12 more issues or 13 more issues? That's great. Um, what happens if we just did it as a collected graphic novel? People will still buy it who are interested in people who are part of this new 52 aren't going to know what the heck's going on anyway so what does it matter that way they could have kept damien in the continuity grant morrison's story could have just been said that it happened pre-new 52 and it was just something that they were releasing to release because they wanted a finality to it that's what they could have done now they've got talia dead they've got damien dead and we've got talia being mentioned in red hood and the outlaws just this month um, and this is clearly taking place after that. So I mean, there's 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 problems, and it's all it's all stemming from DC deciding to do this the way they did. Um, here's my thing. I think that like Morrison was on top of the books clearly uh, for like since 2006, and then Scott Snyder happened to do a story for Detective Comics, and DC immediately just went nuts for Snyder, and he became the king of the Batman comics almost overnight. I mean, if anybody remembers back to that era, I mean, people were just kind of like gradually going crazy over Scott Snyder's run on Detective. It, that, that still remains awesome. I'm not, this is not Scott Snyder's fault, but DC, it being the money how it currently is, so clearly hyped him up to be the biggest thing ever. And then he did Court of Owls, which was huge, and then like, the Death of the Family. So in the last like year or so, they've really made it like, like Batman, the Scott Snyder world. And Morrison's run just never had a... Yeah, you know, it's been two years. It's been over that. Yeah, it's been yeah. two years. It's ever since the New 52 started. They basically, when they gave Scott Snyder Batman, that's when it became the world of Scott Snyder. Well, the thing is, though, is that Scott Snyder being a new writer to Batman doesn't really have the clout to really disagree with what DC tells him to do. Morrison has been in the game for well over 20, 25 years, is a much lauded writer, and a huge, huge Batman fan of his mythology. Scott Snyder has said, has said uh, previously that he didn't want to take on Bruce Wayne when they told him to, the, to take the main Batman book with Bruce Wayne because he felt that he was comfortable with Dick Grayson telling that story and doing his own little thing. But they gave him the Batman book because with Bruce because it will sell. Morrison has his own thing where like he's very much in control of his own world and does not like an interference. Clearly, he wrote – I mean he didn't write that Stephanie Brown story because, you know – he was throwing a bone to Brian Kimmel. He wrote that Stephanie Brown story because it fit into his story that he was trying to tell. And, I mean, you have Kathy Kane in this. You have just all these random references. You have the Talia issue of Talia's origin. And to me, it just screams. I mean, this, it can't be more clear as day that Morrison's storytelling just did not coincide with DC. I mean, I heard way back when Damien died that people thought that he killed off Damien spitefully to spite DC. And I didn't really believe that at the time. I think now I'm more inclined to believe that with the way that like this issue is because let me let me elaborate. Talia dying is like completely glossed over. We predicted it, but like I mean, it was not. She just she dies and then like you know in the next page she's gone and there's no comment over besides Rachel Gould twisting his mustache and says I'll get you next time, detective. And that honestly should like even though she's a villain that really should get to Batman in a way. But we're never gonna talk, we're not gonna talk about it in the next issue because we have to have we're talking about the zero year. And it's frustrating because 
I think that Morrison really has a care on Batman's mythology and 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 evolving the character. And DC has their own way to do the character. I think. I think that DC part of it is because they, they want to like really advertise Batman to an audience that's familiar with the Nolan movies, and probably because they want to establish Batman as the, the best thing they have right now. Which also has to go into that that, that former point. And I think that Morrison's run was just so. It was just so rebellious, for lack of a better word, in, in what they wanted to do that like he left he left this issue basically giving up and not caring anymore. Like the whole thing was you know well Batman's going you know Batman's going to continue. That's that's, that's his him leaving the character, but this feels extremely patched. I mean, Kathy Kane shows up out of nowhere with with with, with the golden gun from a James Bond film and disappears. And she says, I don't exist. Now that's metatextual, you know, in terms of, you know, speaking on her silver age history, but that's a stupid thing to happen. I mean, whether you like Kathy Kane, the story or not, you can't, you can't deny that. Like that was a very, very like DSX machina of an ending. Even if we saw it coming, that was a very, very like pat neatly tied up ending, which did not give the story the, the, the weight that it deserved. And I think that like that just really leaves this, this this story at the end of the day back in the it puts the genie back in the bottle. Batmanic is gone, you know, Damian is gone, Tyus whole scheme is gone, and ultimately nothing that like that Norris had implemented is is a factor anymore. Dick is Nightwing again, um, and it's a shame because you know. There, there, this wasn't a perfect, perfect run, but I really enjoyed the story that Morrison was telling because it, it felt so earnest and it felt so focused. And to me, having to Rachel Ghoul like say I'm, I have a clone of Damien, it's wah ha ha. Is Morrison saying, okay, here, here's your way to bring Damien back now, leave me alone, and him just leave, leaving this this story? Do you do you guys agree with that? Do you think that Morrison left the title with, with any sort of like bitter feelings, or do you think that I'm sort of coming pulling that out of nowhere? I don't agree with you. At the very least, I don't want to believe that because I like I enjoyed this so much, and to have that tainted by him going just like throwing it out there, I don't believe that. And I think there's too much in here. He's been writing this for too long. I, I definitely don't disagree that like his or Damien clone, um, because like I said, it ends with the Ouroboros ring. And whether you agree with me or not, I mean that, that to me says like you know this is my story. It's gonna. It, you know, it goes over and over again. Like, I don't think that was a okay, guys, come on, go to to bed or wherever Rachel Gould is, pluck another Damien out of the pod, and then there you go. I, I don't think DC would do that. Yeah, well, I would say I wouldn't think DC would do that either, but they have done it because they did it with Jason Todd. Superboy Prime punches a wall, and somehow Jason emerges from the grave 20 years, well, 15 years later. Here's the thing I, I don't think that. I don't completely disagree with either one of you. I think the thing is, I think it did feel to me as if this was, like I said, it wasn't very fulfilling. That it wasn't, it didn't fulfill me to the point where it was like, oh my god, I've been reading Grant Morrison since way back when he was on Batman, and here I am reading him in Batman Incorporated five years later. Seven years later. Seven years later. And this is does not feel like a finality to what he's been doing. Like Don said, it is kind of like resetting everything. By the end of his story, basically we've reverted back to square one. The only difference is that now Talia's dead, and that wasn't the case when he first started. But we don't have Damien. The entire battle for the cowl, the entire... Bruce Wayne dying by Darkseid, which wasn't in the Bat books, but was in Final Crisis, which was still written by Grant Morrison, Batman traveling through time. All that is basically poof, gone. 
whatever way you want to look at it, because even if you look at it from the way of the end of this story, it's not gone. It's still gone because the New 52 is now here and they're not re- referencing anything that has happened outside of Damien. Um, at the same point, I don't know that Grant Morrison spitefully did at the very end, oh, well, here's your way of having another Damien because I think that's just a little bit too weird for it to happen. Now, that's not to say that Raish doesn't create other soldiers that he can use that are basically, you know, basically his DNA, not his, but his daughter's DNA, which is partially his, along with Bruce Wayne's DNA, to create, like, these soldiers or something, or to create the perfect offspring that he always wanted, but I don't necessarily look at it as that's the way for Damien to come back. That's I, I know it's, it's, it's a way, yes, but, I mean, there's a gazillion ways. I mean, there's still the Lazarus Pit, there's still a bunch of other ways that they haven't really explored, but the point is, there is a way. I don't think that he just did that as, okay, well, here is your way to do it. By having this last page, Roz looking at all of these these clone babies. Um, but, like I said, it's not a bad issue. It just as a complete overall ending, to me, it didn't come across as, like, this is the ending to the Grant Morrison Batman epic. Well, I mean, like, like there are ways in which this is... Like, I don't think this is bad either, but I think there are ways in which is anticlimactic and thoroughly unsatisfying. I mean, the whole Jason Todd showing up, like, wait, wait here's this thing we, we want. Ha ha ha. Uh, Batman Inc., you know, solved it five minutes ago. Like, Grant Morrison has to know how, how lame that was. I mean, he, there's no way he can't. And, like, to kind of end it on a very, like, I mean, Todd, to me, also kind of felt very, very hammy. I mean, there are times where I really liked it, but, like, there were times where she says, okay, I poisoned this sword and you will die, detective. And, I don't know, it, it, it felt... It almost, uh, I'm trying to, how can I say this? Like, there are ways in which you kind of, you kind of end a story, and I feel that, like, Talia was really kind of, a lot, a lot of Morrison's writing, to me, felt almost, almost like a parody, where he kind of, he kind of, implements, he kind of implements these wacky, almost cartoonish things, and kind of, he kind of put them in a way which they didn't work, which they usually kind of do. Um, what do you think about that, Joe? Because I know you're, you're a real fan with how, how Morrison's storytelling is. Do you feel that this was, like, a send-up of that? Or do you feel like this was, like, you know, in the same ballpark as that usually is? I think it's definitely in the same ballpark. I mean, I may be biased, like, unintentionally so, but I, I've... It's long been evidence that I'm a fan of Morrison's writing, and, you know, I, I want to like it as well, so I don't go into it going, oh, this is going to suck. And may, that might you know, like, swing it an extra, like, 0.5 in, in that direction or something. I might give it a boost just because it's Grant Morrison or something. I'm not sure. I I, I enjoy this issue a lot. I think it summed it up with the, uh, like, the kiss was a bit strange, but, like, throughout that, when you see uh, Spiral and Batman Inc., uh, you know, getting the world engine and, not world engine, uh, the the world bomb or Ouroboro ring bomb or whatever it's called then securing the trigger and that and sort of everything did come together it wasn't necessarily directly explained but I I enjoyed Morrison's slightly meta, slightly wacky I guess way of handling things it doesn't have to all make perfect sense if you don't understand something a lot of the time it's easy to just kind of go with it and then work it out later because that's what Morrison does a lot and I think that everything in his run did get summed up whether it was really definitely like uh, 
like with the death of Talia, or if it was kind of in the background spiral and and then working together to get the the trigger. But yeah, like I can say, I mean, some of it could I could see why it would, people would read it as anticlimactic, and some things might be people might see as climactic. Uh, as convenient with Jason Todd just coming in and going ha ha ha, but I I enjoyed that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's fun and as serious as this story kind of is. Like if you look at the content of it, it is still fun and it's got that kind of wacky element to it, which I really enjoy. And like I, I just I don't know how else this could have ended other than the you know it's not ended. It's going to keep on going because it could have gone this way. Or it could have been like. Batman breaking down in the rain, yelling at the sky or something, but I, I don't really know how else this could have gone. And I enjoyed the way it did. The last thing I kind of wanted to talk about, like, one, the relationship between Gordon and Bruce in here was, like, the one that I love, just the kind of unspoken... All right, I think I know what's going on here, but I won't say about it. But just the conversation they have where it's, he's like... I think Batman may be dead now. Did you read into that as in Bruce kind of accepts that Gordon knows that he is Batman and is saying, you know, like, he may be dead, as in I might not come back after all that's happened. It might be time for me to hang up the cape and cowl. And then what do you think about that? And he's like, well, I think we need you more now than ever, but you know, I think we need Batman more than ever. Did, did you read into it that way? Or did you see that as a... Or how did you read that? See, I, I didn't. I didn't read it as you know. He was at. He was. Tr- he was going to give it up. I read it as Gordon, kind of thinking. You know, maybe this is this is the way it needs to be. You know, as as horrible as some of the things that have happened is, this is just what needs to happen. And I think, in some ways, it was just testing testing you as the reader, really, which way you thought it should be. I thought it was actually uh, really clear that Morrison was playing the, the whole does he know thing. I mean, I think that like at the best of times, Gordon does know, but like doesn't say anything because for some reason that would be bad. Uh, and I have no problem with that. So like I thought that he knows. Yeah. All right. So Batman Incorporated number 13, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. I am going to give this issue a two and a half. And, uh, this is not like, you know, even I, I, I'm not as mad as, as that great might suggest. And overall, I, I saw, I, I love, Grim Morrison's runs might, might be my, one of my favorite Batman runs ever. This issue in and of itself, I thought was disappointing. But the very, there are various factors that went into it, and I have my reasons why I think that that is so. But the issue itself, objectively speaking, I think, personally, is a two and a half out of five Batman. But I will say that, like, I am going to miss Grim Morrison on Batman, and, like, honestly, his decision to leave the Bat books might impact my decision to keep reading them. Yeah, I think Dustin may have sort of hit up on a point where he said um, he's testing the reader more than testing Gordon. And I think that the way that Dustin writes with this slightly, the wacky way he does so, it, it leaves it open to interpretation. And maybe I just read into it more or in a different way and I enjoyed it more because of that. So I'll give it a 4.5. But I think for Morrison's entire run, I'll, I'll give it a 5. It had its like. Odd dip, but I think as an overall story, it was such a, a huge epic and uh, greatest piece of fiction. All right, so Batman Incorporated number 13 gets a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. That is all of our books. Let's go over to John with Bat Books for Beginners.
Hello and welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I am your host, John, and on this episode we're taking a look at Nightwing, a darker shade of justice. Maybe you didn't get the memo, Oracle, but I've been going by Nightwing for, oh, about a decade or so. I don't know why I can't remember that. Maybe I should try saying it ten times in a row. Nightwing, 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 Nightwing. This covers Nightwing, issues 30 through to 39, and the secret files and origins. It has been collected as a trade paperback, however it is hard to find cheap anywhere. On Amazon it retails for about £30, whilst on eBay they only had one copy, again at about $30. Now whilst this does cover issues 30 to 39 i'll only be dealing with the first four and secret origins as the second half deals with no man's land something we'll be covering in the next coming episodes it was written by chuck dixon and features art by scott daniel there are a few characters that you need to know and a little bit of backstory there is a lady called bridget clancy who is dick's landlord where he lives in bloodhaven and they have an on-off relationship there's also a gentleman called Nightwing. Uh, his real name is Tad Ryastad, and he was inspired by an old hero named Tarantula to become a hero, but on his first night out, he was cornered by a gang and shot. He was rushed to hospital, where Blockbuster, believing him to be Nightwing, tried to kill him. And finally, Blockbuster. He's the main villain in this series, and is at the moment trying to kill Nightwing. So that's sort of the characters that you need to know and a bit of the backstory because there is a jump between what we covered in the last episode and what we're covering in this episode. But is it going to be any good? Will I enjoy it? Let's find out as we dig into Nightwing, A Darker Shade of Justice. We open with Nightwing dealing with some fan jackers. However, the jackers are stopped by Superman. Superman, it turns out, is just passing by and wondered if he needs some help patrolling. Nightwing accepts and they talk. Dick espousing fear how he fears that Bloodhaven is beyond saving. However, whilst they are talking, Superman hears something. It turns out to be a housing dispute, which Nightwing can do nothing about. But Clark uses his super breath to blow the bailiffs away and gain the residents some more time. It turns out that the lawyer company that's trying to evict the tenants is held by Desmond Corp, which is run by Blockbuster. They then pay Blockbuster a visit and threaten to have Superman stop by more often. Blockbuster agrees not to evict them and Superman leaves. And the issue ends with Nightwing, Tad Ray Strad, grabbing a guy in a car and saying he will help him find out who it was who tried to kill him. Issue 31 opens with Bridget Clarence, Dick's landlord, discovering they have put the property tax up, meaning they cannot afford to stay there. Meanwhile, Tad, from the end of the last issue, has the man tied up in his room. He blames him for his failure to do 1,000 push-ups. He then takes him to a train track and threatens to kill him under a train unless he gives the location away of his friends. The man does before the train hits him, and Tad throws him free of the train before it hits he then heads to the location of where the people who tried to shoot him are. He beats them easily but loses control and instead kills all of them. Dick solves the landlord issue by buying the building and he, for some reason, enrolls in the police. We open issue 32 with two girls dressed in gold who are sisters robbing a criminal's vault. 
While this is happening, Dick goes through his first week of police training. We have various police training scenes. And whilst this is happening, Blockbuster calls in Chief Redhorn, who is the crooked police chief in Bloodhaven, telling him that he will investigate the robberies of the criminals. Meanwhile, Nightwing is out on patrol when he is attacked by the police. Whilst this is happening, we encounter the two thieves, who it turns out are called Alki and Marjot. They rob a truck which is carrying $5 million in laundered money. This annoys Blockbuster, who, whilst getting angry, also feels very tired all of a sudden. And the issue ends with Dick running past a poster advertising a circus coming to town. We open issue 33 with Dick as Robin being handed a gun by Batman. He uses the guns to teach Dick not to fear them at all. This then leads to Dick on the police gun range practicing. Meanwhile, Blockbuster brings in some assassins to deal with Marjot and Alki. Nightwing is also hunting for the two ladies. Using a tip, he sets up a watch for them. He gets lucky catching one of them. They fight, but she manages to escape with the help of her sister. Nightwing uses his circus contacts to discover that they work in the circus. However, Dick has had not had this thought alone, and the assassins are following him to the circus. He tracks them to their caravan, and they once again fight. However, the assassins use the fight to capture all three of them. The final issue opens with all three fighting for some reason. They stop once two of the assassins, Stalin and the Electrocutioner, break in to kill them. They fight, with Nightwing being left to deal with the attackers whilst the women sneak off. Dick easily makes short work of the assassins. We then move to Blockbuster, who receives the news that he is dying. He does not take this well, however, and threatens the Doctor if he does not heal him. And the issue ends with Batman calling Dick back to Gotham. Secret Tales and Origins tells the story of Dick becoming Robin and then Nightwing. We see the circus and then him becoming Robin itself. We then see his adventures with the Teen Titans and his eventual retirement as Robin. Dick then meets Superman and Superman tells him the story of Nightwing on Krypton, with Dick deciding to take the name and become his own hero. We then see him return to the Teen Titans, along with his relationships he's had with various women, including Barbara, and finally why he moved to Bloodhaven. Then the first part ends with Nightwing waking up in Blackgate, which ties into No Man's Land. This issue also contains a number of information sheets with artwork by various people and some lost pages of storyline. We then spend a day with Tad as a comic storyline, and the final part is Nightwing giving Oracle an orange at Christmas. They discuss Nightwing's previous relationships with women, with Dick confessing he has feelings for Barbara. So that is Nightwing, a darker shade of justice. Overall, I thought the writing was good but i wasn't particularly blown away by it it felt a little formulaic in places the superman issue wasn't really necessary i don't understand why superman is passing by and why he's stopping in bloodhaven it just seemed as if it was an actual filler issue the clones as well the two sisters they felt like they should have been Catwoman, really. They did exactly the same things that Catwoman does in the Batman series, but without actually being Catwoman. I don't think they were particularly memorable, and I don't think they were particularly exciting. And I would say it would be a stretch if they were classic villains. In fact, I'd struggle even to probably put them in the forgotten part on the villain wall. They were that sort of unessential. I don't think they really brought anything to the storyline at all. 
as for the art, I'm not a massive fan of Scott McDaniel's style. I think that there are issues with it. I can see why people do like the artwork, but personally, it's not to my taste. I find it a little cartoony, and it's not the best, in my opinion. It seems to irritate me, but I can't quite put my finger on why. I'm not a great fan of the faces and the look that they have in general. I just didn't really like the artwork. However, I don't think this is a terrible series. I'd give it three out of five Batarangs in total and would suggest, yeah, if you can pick it up and you can find it cheap, then I would do, but I don't think it's worth the $30 that people are asking for at the moment just because it's got Nightwing in it. So that's my thoughts on Nightwing, A Darker Shade of Justice. As I said, I'd recommend you pick it up, but I would find it quite cheap somewhere. It's not brilliant. Next episode, we are into the big thing that I know a lot of you have all been waiting for. We start No Man's Land. Now, if you want to read along, we will be using the trade paperbacks that DC have recently just released. And of course, we will be starting with volume one. So if you want to read along, then do feel free to get those trade paperbacks. And also feel free to let me know your opinions on the comics that we review and on the podcast in general. Feedback is always greatly appreciated. And I'd be especially interested to know what you guys think of No Man's Land, both as a whole series and as the individual issues come up. So feel free to leave a comment in the section underneath this podcast on the website, and I will read them out. So once again, thank you very much for listening. Now I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. I'll see you next time. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you are picking up the next set of books for the next episode. And also be sure to check out the Bat Books for Beginners feed to catch up on all of the past Batman stories leading up to the eventual world shift of the New 52 as we eventually get to that probably a year and a half from now. With that being said, we do have a number of different listener Q&As, so let's jump right into them. Uh, The first one, some of these were posted after we recorded the last episode, but um, they were still good ones that I thought that we should bring up. So first off, um, this one was posted on episode 119. Alex says, Great episode, guys. The past week was much better with Just League Batman and Nightwing. I was really happy to see Alfred slap Bruce. Hopefully it's not what turned him from brash to being an aggressive emo. Apparently in the... I'm... I'm in the minority, but I like Batman number 22 a lot more than the previous. It actually makes it like it more, which is great. I'd rather have a, f- a story that I'll grow to love and want to read over and over than a story I've started loving and then wanting it erased from my memory like Death of the Family. My problem with the way that Batman is being written is that I don't know if Batman of the New 52 is supposed to be written as an overly aggressive, insane emo, or if it's just bad writing. Because if it's the former, then I can accept that I don't like the character and can move on but then you have other issues in titles where he's acting like the pre-new 52 such as batman incorporated detective comics and sometimes in the dark knight i'm not one of those my batman people and and don't and while i don't like the 50s and 60s batman era or the 60s tv show that still has everything batman is he was still an honorable and selfless hero who dedicated his life to uphold justice. Even the Batman of The Dark Knight Returns, while dark, really 
cared about people, which can be seen where when he kisses Selena, rallies the citizens, hugs Carrie, or when he tries to help Two-Face. He sees the Joker going on a murdering rampage and takes him out ASAP. None of the weirdo relationship stuff where he constantly taunts the Joker while his family could be killing each other in the other room, like death of the family, or psychologically torturing Jason, or punching Dick in the face to knock out a single toot out of, or, dun-dun-dun, I'm sorry, guys. So, basically, there is a lot of things wrong with the way things are being written in the New 52 with Batman. Um, you, you bring up a lot of really good points, especially since there's... There's a lot of different things that have happened, and it seems a lot of the stuff that you're you're mentioning seems as if you're mentioning stuff that Scott Snyder has done, which that's not to say that Scott Snyder's a bad writer. I just, in some ways, I think that I think I think we all could be in agreement that Scott Snyder wrote Dick Grayson better than he's been writing Bruce Wayne. What do you guys think? I think um, also, like like I have a lot of reservations about just how Batman is these days. And Scott Snyder is kind of at the bottom of that list. Um, there are times where I think Scott Snyder can play into the whole angry Batman thing, but those are actually kind of few and far between. Um, see, I, I mentioned this before, I think that like Batman's being really diluted. I think that like he's being pushed into the mainstream and ultimately, I mean, it's really cool, but like, because he is my favorite character, but I think that like he's being pushed into like this sort of like pigeonholed version of himself, which doesn't really reflect how I choose a few. I mean, he, he he's angry and he's violent and he's dark and he's they're trying that. to streamline him. Yeah, it, it feels like they're trying to make him into this wholly identifiable thing, and I think that like a he was something else that was identifiable uh, but different before. And B, I think that a lot of that is just, I don't know, it's just, I mean, I just don't, I mean, I am, I am, I hate to be that guy, but I am one of those guys that says that's not really, like, my version of the character. Now, Batman can be taken in, in a multitude of ways, and I'm not saying any is invalid, but I think he's been kind of just played up as this really sort of, like, emotionally fragile, like, like, mentally negative character. And he's been shown to be so much more than that, so much better than that before. I think that they're really playing a lot of the flaws in the character in the comics, to, to provide drama and tension, and that doesn't really cater to me, or doesn't really like, make it ingratiate me. I think that in the mainstream, he's having a lot of success with the movies and stuff, but it's also sort of something that I don't really identify the character as. And I'm not saying like you know he's a terrible character right now, but like I mean I don't know. There's just there's so, there's something about how he's being portrayed right now. That I just there, there's so, there's so many negative aspects to his character which people say well that's Batman and it's, it's not really you know I mean like he doesn't have to be this paranoid hateful guy who can't get past his parents' death I mean like that's this that doesn't have to be I mean it's an idea to explore but we've explored that it doesn't have to be the character and honestly if you were to define the character that way I would fly out say you're wrong. And like you know, and that's that's probably like douchey of me to do because every character, every every fan has their own inversion of the character. But like, I don't know, I, I don't really like the idea that that Batman's negative aspects are being played up as a part of his personality. That's that's essentially it. I think that's what they people are trying to do to really kind of like like make him a, a more immediately interesting character. And I, I think that's sort of like, I, I don't I don't agree with that that way of establishing who Batman is. I. I agree that I, I think 
there are some issues with, or at least I have some issues with the way that Snyder writes Batman, but for the most part, I do... He, he does write Batman well. There's definitely, like, his quieter moments, I think, are really good. Um, I did prefer his Dick Grayson Batman story, whether that was because uh, it was just that I enjoyed the story more, and it may have been that, but I think that Scott Snyder definitely has the talent to write different personalities and different characterizations for different characters. So I don't feel that that story would have worked with Bruce. I mean, it definitely wouldn't look at the character, but I mean, if you put that personality in, it wouldn't have worked as well. So in terms of Bruce, like, there are worse writers, especially for the over-the-top angry stuff. I mean, we can all remember the classic, like, oh, bloodbath! So there's definitely, like... That was really atrocious, and I think it's those sort of moments are when I get the feeling that the writers just kind of have the Dark Knight interrogation scene on a loop, and yeah. just kind of write to that uh, th- that level of aggression, and uh, and you know they have that voice in their head, and I don't think that works. It definitely doesn't work all the time. I mean, I keep going on about it, but like Grant Morrison, especially the first volume of Batman Inc with uh, when Bruce returned he he was smiling I mean there was a scene when he and Dick were standing in a like a garbage pile full of dead bodies and they were like rotting fingers and hands around them but he was still just standing there smiling just, you know glad to be back and starting to do something you know on a global scale and he was like it's nice to see a Batman who doesn't take things too seriously all the time and you know, it has fun with what he does because otherwise it's just depressing. And I was saying earlier how there are so many bat books, there's a chance to have a different interpretation of him in, in different books. And I think that when I said earlier they were streamlining him, I'm not sure if it's because of Scott Snyder or if it's the editorial or what it is or if it's everyone just kind of got some idea of what Batman is, but it feels like they're all trying to make the character this kind of the same thing, but it doesn't, they're all just picking on this one angry all the time and shagged a lot and I think that John Lehman like started off like that I think that he's starting to pull away from that which I really appreciate at least in this the last couple of issues I hope it continues in that way and he's kind of taking pulling away from the the quippy angry shouty Batman feels like it just feels like like they keep on looking to the Dark Knight movie to write the character and don't have their own idea on who Batman is based on his 74 year history alright so next up Troy says, guys, love the podcast. One thing I would like to comment on is Dustin's frequent exasperation over the inconsistent way Batman acts in different titles being released each month. I think Dustin would enjoy the titles more if he didn't expect each month to offer a Batman in the same emotional state across all the bad titles. With most titles being written for the trade, each issue does not exactly end at a point where you could imagine Batman moving directly to the events in whatever other idol other title also came out the week, the, that week or the next. For instance, I see the events that take place in Batman Incorporated 6 through 10 and 12 through 13. Can we all agree that 11 didn't happen? Happening without any break for the other Batman titles to occur in between. And when I sit down to reread a run of any bad title, I'll reread an entire run of whatever title it is without cross referencing how Batman behaved in another bat title or Justice League issues that were released around that same time. I'm sure the nature of reviewing every bat title that comes out each week makes that differing portrayal stand out, so I understand where the frustration comes from. Keep up the great work. 
So I will address this. There's a there's a couple things. You you do have a point. You know the thing is uh, I do get exasperated a lot about the different the inconsistencies amongst these books, but the reason I get exasperated about it is because of not so much the fact that it is different in each book. It's more about the fact that DC and the editorial staff tries every possible way to try to cross these books together. The fact that we read books and constantly see these little editorial notes that say, oh, well, this happened in this book. You should read this. The fact that Batman the Dark Knight, a book that has had nothing to do with any of the other titles for the most part, has this comment saying, go read Batman number 20 because this references this cage that we put Clayface in. Or the fact that we have... um, so another book referencing Commissioner Gordon and his problems that he's had recently in Batgirl. That's the problem I have. It's not so much about the fact that each book can't do the characters differently. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Every book would just be a standalone. And yes, they would be written for the trade, which would be a huge downfall for those of us who buy the books monthly. But at the same point, the problems that I have is the fact that they try so hard to say oh, well, did you see this? Commissioner Gordon slapped Batman or punched Batman in Batgirl. So that's where this came from. That's why he's been having problems with this his character. And I don't get that thought from reading the story that I'm reading when I was reading Detective Comics, or the Detective Comics Annual, and Batman was working with Commissioner Gordon. I wasn't thinking to myself, oh, God, you know what I'm thinking? How could Batman possibly be working with Commissioner Gordon because he just got punched in the face by him last last issue in Batgirl? I wasn't thinking about that at all. But the problem is that they put these little stupid notes in there that say, oh, by the way, do you know why they could have a problem? It's because of this book. And it's like, so you're making it as if all these books still coexist in the same universe even though there is so many inconsistencies amongst the books. I also am fully aware that obviously the books, you know, the stuff that's happening in Just League is not necessarily happening at the exact same time the stuff is happening in another title. I, I know that, but the problem is that when they start doing all of these little notes all over the place telling you to go reference a book that's coming out the same month and things like that, that's where I actually have the problem because it comes down to why are you telling me about this other book other than just if I was somebody who only read this book to get my money to go buy that book. And if I only, here's the thing if I did not review every book and did not buy every single one of these books that we review, plus more than we, that we don't review, I would not be sitting here. I, I would be sitting here buying only a very few amount of these books. I'd be buying just the ones that I really enjoy. If I'm reading Detective Comics, do I really want to be told that if I go read Batgirl, I'll read, I'll find out more about Batman and Commissioner Gordon's relationship, and then I go pick up Batgirl, and it's the completely opposite <laughs> than what is in Detective Comics? That's where I have the problem. It's when they're referencing things that are contradicting the story itself. And it's not the writers who are doing it all the time, though sometimes it is. It's most of the time the stupid editorial notes, which are basically little you know, thumbnail size advertisements to, to get you to go buy another issue. That's my point. They've, they've done that. I mean, that's nothing new in comics, though, for them to say, want to know what happened? See this issue of this. Like, uh... Right, right, and that's true, but most of the time when they do that, it's not, the characters are still having that same characterizations like we were talking about earlier. It's not Jim Gordon being the completely off-the-wall, insane person who's hell-bent on vengeance of his murderous son in one book, and then the other book has him 
working side by side with Batman and actually calling Batman in on a case to help them stop this cop killer in Detective Comics. But then Detective Comics is telling you to go read the book where Jim Gordon is, you know, being insane and punching Batman in the face because Batgirl killed his son. That's the problem. Like, why is why is Jim Gordon okay with calling Batman in to help him with uh, the murders of the cops, but in the other issue that they're telling us to go read, he's punching him in the face. <laughs> why doesn't he call Nightwing? Who's out of town anyway? All right, so that is the the the, the questions we had from one nineteen. Uh, the ones that we have from one twenty, uh, Richie says, "Hey guys, favorite anti Batman? I thought of six. Red Hood, Hush, Wrath, Catman, Deadshot, and I guess Emperor Black Eight now too. Do you guys have a favorite anti Batman? The Wrath. Always, always liked him ever since I read his only story in uh, Batman the Eighty Street paperback. To be honest, I don't really have one. Uh, I guess I'm interested when those stories come up, but. Like, there are so many characters where I've seen them, disc- like, even Two-Face, I've heard, is like, oh, yeah, he's the good guy in Gotham, he turns bad, he's what Bruce Wayne could have been. So, it's like, there's so many characters that have been described that way that I kind of don't keep track of which ones are actually anti-Batman. I'll say I, I really do like Catman stories. It's been a while since we've seen Catman in the DC Universe, but uh, some of the Secret Stick stories that involved him as... Some are more prominently than other characters. Some of those stories were good, but Catman, I, I actually like that character just as an idea. Um, Red Hood, Jason Todd, Red Hood, I think is a cool idea. Um, but I would say the, the 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 not so much now what's going on right now in Red Hood and the Outlaws, but more so uh, pre New Fifty Two in Batman and Robin, where Dick Grayson and Damian are battling. Uh, Jason Todd as Red Hood and the the Scarlet Chick at the time, those I thought that that was a really good anti Batman, especially when there's that one story where Dick Grayson has to actually work with Jason Todd. That was actually kind of a cool story. Actually, yeah. Uh, now you said that, I think in the the uh, Dick Grayson Batman era, I think that he really was a cool anti Batman. Just their rivalry was a. Uh, I really enjoyed those stories. Alright, so next, Alex says, Thanks for another great episode, guys. I actually like Batman 22 much more than I like the first issue. Helped seeing Bruce slapped. I'm not a fan of young Bruce acting like a jerk and giving the finger to Red Hood. I'm surprised that my favorite issue of Batman and Robin, the grieving story arc, was the one starring Catwoman. I was so glad seeing Batman smile. The last panel is a good example of why I love Batman so much. I just hope he tries to mend all the wounds he caused and brings the Bat family closer than before. If they want to make the villains really dark, that's fine, but let Batman be the light. I don't even remember how good the issue was. It could have been terrible, but that scene made it for me. My question for you, do you enjoy a simpler plot and heavier character-driven stories, or dense plots with lighter character-driven stories more? Do you think one has to be sacrificed for the other, so the story doesn't become too overwhelming? If not, can you give an example? Well... I don't know that I can give an example, but I would say that I would. I really like the idea of um, it can go one way or the other. I, I think that simpler plots are okay if it is really character heavy, but those those stories work well if they're single issue stories, not kind of like what they've been doing in Batman: The Dark Knight, where we get six to eight issues on one one villain. It sometimes just comes across as this is going on for too long. 
the other side, the other side of it, the very dense plots and the lighter character-driven stories, those work well if it's like a, if it has a really good theme. And I say that, and I probably could give an example of that. The some of the events. This has nothing to do with Batman, but uh, Justice League Flashpoint. That was a really good story. Were all the characters really? impacting that story. I mean, Flash obviously has a big part in it, but there was a lot of characters in it that made up the entire story, but the entire story was that it was on this completely alternate universe and this, that, and the other, and you know, it was a really good story that I think was more was a lot more dense plot than it was about the character development of the actual characters in the story. So I think that you could do stories where you have um, some of each, you know, a denser plot and heavier characters. But then I think that what ends up happening is it becomes too heavy for the reader because you end up having too much dialogue. And the best example I have of that is Kevin Smith's stuff. His stuff is very character-driven because he has very specific characters that he wants to use. But then what ends up happening is that there's still an overlying plot that has to occur too in his stories that sometimes relate to those characters that he wants to use, but sometimes they have nothing to do with that, and you get a lot of dialogue, and it's not necessarily something that flows very well. So the the best example I can have, go back and read uh, Batman Cacophony. That's a perfect example of having too much plot and too much character-driven uh, elements in it. I am all... I think that like a lot of stories now are, are kind of like dense plots with little characterization, and I am just in, in favor of like the, the the characters should drive the plots. You can stick Robin in a story where he's like stranded on the desert and he must find you know the hidden land of Kool Aid in order to stop uh, uh, Crazy Quilt from taking over Venezuela or something like that, and it's fine. But maybe care about Robin's plight and maybe like and and you know feel for him whatever he's going through that was a, a hallmark of chuck dixon's run on batman comics like you know the plots i think the plots ultimately in his runs like uh robin and nightwing are by and large kind of like i'm gonna say forgettable but you know like you don't really read them for the plots because a lot of times they're kind of silly you read them for the characterizations of, of dick Grayson and tim drake and like well, that's why we like the characters so, like, that's why we like uh morrison's batman and robin because of, of how dick and damien interact with each other like that's why we like uh, uh, Batwoman with um, Kate Kane. Like the characters are going to drive the stories. I don't care about because the Superman, uh, the superhero, supervillain dichotomy is so old that like it doesn't inherently interest you anymore. But the characters might, might. So like you know, those would be the ones that kind of keep on bringing you back. So I'm always about characters over plots. I think I like a mix so that it doesn't get boring one way or the other, and is in a mix of. You know, an arc of character-driven and an arc of plot-driven. Um, I think that it can be overwhelming if you have the two, like too much of both combined. Um, but I definitely agree with Dustin in that. I think the shorter stories of character-driven stuff work better, especially because like it's so hard to do a character study of Batman now because we've had. I mean, he's been around for nearly seventy-five years, so like trying to do something new in that would be insanely difficult so they can get really repetitive I mean I mean, I guess all stories are kind of like a variation of each other but like to do something new with the character stuff like that's really impressive and I really enjoy those stories and uh, they're often more interesting but I also love you know detailed and, and 
weird or expansive plots and, and stuff like that. So I think a mix of both is ideal. All right. So those are all of the questions we had on the website. We have uh, two emails, both from the same person. It's kind of like a split email. Um, so I'll read through this. It's a pretty long email, but it lays. Uh, it talks about a bunch of different things. So first off, he says, "Hey guys, awesome show! I remember when I was about eight years old. I read my first comic books. I was staying with my cousin, and he had a box of them laying in his room. The first one I read was the Amalgam Universe. It's corny now, but I thought it was awesome at the time. Now at 21, I have officially bought my first comic. I bought the trade vo- trade for Batman Volume One and Two: The Court of Owls. I've gone back and re-listened to your reviews of the series, and I understand that when they." Are broken up, it can slow things down at times. But considering Snyder's writing style, it makes a great graphic novel, and I love Greg Capullo's art style. In tandem, the tandem brought me back to read it a second time to look at every last detail, written and illustrated. I could see where it, be, it could be better in some parts, the art as well as cleaning up the story. And since this is my first comic, I realized I could be on a high. So as a whole, I'll give it 4.5 out of 5 batterings. Considering the talent serum, I think it could be another possible way to bring Damien back to life. He would just rejuvenate every time he is hurt or killed, making him the only member of the Bat family with superpowers, which is cool but doubtful. Lazarus Pit is still the most likely, but after seeing what happened in Batman Incorporated number 12, I'm very excited to see how Grant Morrison finishes things off in number 13. I'm not sure when you guys will be covering 12, so I'll leave it at that. I'd be all for you guys continuing to cover Batman Superman series. The more books, the better. And if you could incorporate the events of Trinity War, that'd be awesome. I'm very curious as to if the Outsider is another version of Alfred or someone else entirely. It's obviously someone who has access to the Batcave and knows Bruce well. Sorry for jumping around all over the place, and I look forward to the next episode. So, real quick, I just want to say... I think Scott Snyder does do a really good job of rating stories that are great for a graphic novel, but they're not released, and they're not selling... Okay, well, let me put it this way, okay? We're not reviewing trades. We're reviewing the monthly issues, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what you're saying, Corbin, as far as, you know, you're buying the trades and it's a great story. I think that Court of Alls was a decent story. It's not the best story in the world, but it was a decent story. Um, the the problem with the Court of Owls is, like you said, when you are waiting month to month to read something that you yourself are reading in a trade as one story, and it's like, oh my god, this is great, and I just had to wait 11 months to read that story, it's a little annoying. That's the problem. That's the biggest problem that I have with what Scott Snyder does. He has these extremely long stories, and... They're great when they're read all all together, but as a monthly comic, they don't come across as this is a great monthly comic month in and month out. You have your downs, you have your lows, but when you're reading as a giant overall story in a trade, you don't get that at all. I will say I haven't had really any issues with Greg Capullo's art. I think his art is great, and there's you know there's been some times where you can tell he's a little bit more rushed than others, but most of the time it's rarely the case. He seems like he budgets his time very well compared to all of these other artists who can never can complete you know a, a comic on a monthly basis, even if they have one month off every eleven months. I I, I agree. I, like uh, some writers are very well. I, I don't think Scott Snyder necessarily writes for the trade, but I think that like there are always these these transitory issues where you feel that like uh, especially in the Court of Owls. Where you feel like you're kind of waiting for the next thing to happen, and those are those are still good, but like 
the trade issues. I think I think he's gotten a bit more into that as his time has gone on. I remember with the with the, with the uh, James Junior storyline, it was very tense each 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 issue. Um, but with the death of the family storyline, especially and like now, it feels very much like you know, okay, this issue explains what the next issue is going to happen with. And I think that like uh, that might be a weakness in his writing, but it's a small weakness. It doesn't really affect my enjoyment of the run all that much. I agree that I don't think he really wrote for the trade because of how each issue started, often with that long monologue about something kind of unrelated, and then it would come back in a bit later. Um, I think the only the other issue we had, like called about and stuff, is because like, I haven't read it, I haven't read in trades, I haven't gone back since and read it as a run, and I imagine that it would flow better. But not only did it stretched out over 11 months we also oversaturated with it with like all of the tie-ins and that happens that's happened you know with every Scott Snyder run since it'd be 52 started so I think we get oversaturated with it so not only is it the 11 issues stretched out but then we've got another 7 to read which aren't as good quality either so then the other email is also from Corbin and this one talks about Batgirl he says with the events in Batgirl I don't know how you guys manage to read that garbage every <laughs> month Gail Simone has ruined the reputation of Jim Gordon. With him coming for Barbara for defending herself from a known psychic, uh, psychotic killer, either makes him either very stupid or just another corrupt cop on the police force. With such poorly executed storyline, I was hoping they would drop this idea, but it's continuing to drag on and actually get worse. Yeah, it was his son, but remember that this guy just murdered several of his cops moments earlier, among others that had already been killed. So if he didn't accidentally die then the commish should know that he's more than likely to be be in Arkham or, in the real world, sentenced to death. It's not like the guy was innocent. No matter if Barbara Sr. is withholding information from Jim or not, he should be able to figure it out. I do like the the idea of Commissioner Gordon turning on the Bat family, example the, the Batman animated series over the Ledge episode, but I hate how she is making Gordon look like a bad cop. So I would say I definitely agree with that. Uh, she is making him look like a bad cop. There's so many problems with this. The fact that Barbara Sr., who witnessed the entire thing, who could open doors to knowledge that Jim Gordon does not know, conveniently leaves the issue to uh. leave Jim Gordon pissed at Batgirl and, you know, just... It's, it's stupid. And then, to top it all off, he's not even actually dead. <laughs> yeah, no, God in heaven like okay like the mother is allowing her for misinformed hus- ex-husband to go try to kill her daughter and like they're, they're, uh, I, I still hate that with every fiber of my being Gil Simone t- 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 uh, you might you can write Gordon angry but that's just not the way to do it I guess I should probably just say no comment here because whilst I find some of the storylines definitely stupid I haven't had nearly as big an issue recently with it as you guys have. That's the thing. That's what, that's what I always get. That's what I was surprised about Joe. It's like... <laughs> that's what I like about Joe in the show. Like, Batgirl number 19 is, like, the most, like, offensive thing I've ever read. It's like, that, that, that comic hates babies. But, like, Joe's, like, Gail Simone's guardian angel. <laughs> like, eh, I wouldn't go that best. far. I mean... Three out of five better ranks. <laughs> it's just like, what? <laughs> I may be a guardian angel carrying her, but I wouldn't be afraid to drop her a few times. 
<laughs> it's awesome, man. All right, so that is all of our listener Q and A's. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website to leave your comments in the podcast post below. We normally record these episodes on Mondays or the weekend prior to them actually releasing, and generally, if there's only four weeks, they release every other Friday. So knowing that, you'll need to get your questions into us within generally about a week of the podcast posting in order for them to be read on the next episode. You can also email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns related to the podcast or anything else. And then that is pretty much everything we've got for this episode. So be sure to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer, including the uh, including new episodes of Backworld the Oracle. There's new commentaries that are posted. There's a new uh, normal cast that's posted that's covering a lot of the other stuff from Comic-Con, including the merchandise, the TV shows, and the movies, as well as a lengthy discussion on our predictions of what Man of Steel number 2 will be about. Um, also, be sure to check out Bat Fans, Backworld Oracle, Taking Flight, as well as we also have a new villain wall that you can check out as well. So be sure to check out all of that stuff. And also, in a week from now, be sure to check out the Point Five Comic Cast. In addition to that, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe, as well as check out our Facebook group for discussions with other Bat fans related to everything related to the Batman universe and some things that aren't even related to the Batman universe. You can also leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as I said, leave your comments on the podcast post and send us emails at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Joe. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Or will we, as I arch my eyebrows threateningly? Notice that there probably aren't any bloopers on this episode about Stella being a catalyst for silliness. Have a nice day.